Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs, to Desho Del Latres. That's not an exact, you know, that's not exact. Desho the third, the Desh X3. It's our Patreon <laughs> exclusive for a time pod for our uh, lovely $5 tier patrons. And hello to you, patrons. Uh, in the audience right now. Happy Friday to all of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, those of you in the future listening to this on demand, it may or may not be Friday where you are. And uh, if it's not, I'm sorry for that. But whatever the case, thank you for making us part of your day. Yeah. If you, if I'm you, the subtle doctor. Yeah, so to those of you in the oh. future, you know, from like 20, 23 XX or whatever it is, you know, that's actually 20 years, 20,000. Maybe our podcast will still be around at, all those many years hence, who knows? But yes, I hope you're all doing well. You just you walked all over my introduction. Are Sorry. you are you proud of yourself? Are you pleased? No. Just no. Crush, 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 T-Rex feet. Just giant all the All right. We're we're gonna try it again. Whew. Limbering up. I am the subtle doctor. And to your left, on your video screen, he is uh, the, I was going to say irreparable, but that's not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> I'm one, one, one. broken. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word. No, <laughs> no, 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 you, no, no, you're committed now. And I, I, maybe that's not arguably wrong in some senses <laughs> either. I mean, this shit ain't coming back to life anytime soon. <laughs> that's irreparable, all right? I was looking for a word that meant unique and one of a kind. So I'll just say one of a kind. Uh, the hardest working man in pod business, Shadon. Hi, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Very excited to talk about this show. Um, uh, and also just very eager to go to that bar. Uh, not obviously through the normal means. I just like to pop in for a visit and then be on my way. Um, looks like they do good cocktails there. I know whatever it was they poured through. Uh, no, so I'm not a frequenter of bars, pubs, or clubs. Mm. So this is this may or may not be normal, but it looked like uh, a drink was being poured through, like a pepper shaker. Like what he was pouring out of the lid had a bunch of holes in it, as if it was some sort of as if there was you know a child's insect being mm. kept in there. So it was as a pet, you know, with the holes poked in the top. So is that normal to pour drinks through a lid like that? I don't know. Maybe Death Sim seasons his pizza by shaking a cocktail shaker. Maybe he does, yeah. say, maybe he does <laughs> things backwards. Right. Maybe it's opposite day at the bar. He seems like a strange guy. Uh, so I wouldn't point past him. Although... A guy. Although, I, I am very, very glad that the character or the act or the person basically from Mushiki is getting work again because he looks exactly like the lead character from that oh <laughs> he d- he really does look like 
the main from Mushishi. Mm. I wish I could remember his name. It that's a show that people will probably get mad at me about uh, saying this about, but I've never finished it. Mm. It's one that I've started on a couple different occasions, and I just wasn't able to stick with it. It's very good. I liked it a lot. I had no big complaints about it, except that it just didn't kind of hold my attention. Maybe, maybe the two shows were in continuity with each other. I mean, Mushishi is all paranormal stuff, you know. Maybe Destin is his brother, and he's just like, ah, well, I've got a paranormal investigator bum brother somewhere out there who constantly chain smokes. I don't know why he's doing. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> he loves to make mannequins. <laughs> Well, I don't know why. No well, one knows why. Well, you know, don't both of them actually can in that case, given the, uh, you know, the bar? Because they got the uh, mannequin thing in the background. That's what I meant. Oh, sorry. I thought, that's, I, was, that's I, thought I was referring I to. I thought you were no, referring to the Shishi guy. Yes. <laughs> no, the only thing I know, that, well, the only thing I remember about Mushishi, apart from the ubiquitous presence of fireflies, mm-hmm. is, yeah, he would talk to, he would talk to spirits and like soothe them. He was kind of a like spirit calmer downer, uh, you know. So it's not, you know, not of the spirit slaying variety like Mob Psycho, you know, uh, which is something I'll bring up again in a moment. But yeah, more of a like, we need to rest now. Mm. We need to we need to chill. That's what I recall anyway. Chillax. Yeah. It was it was very sad. It was a sad show. Maybe that's part of why I couldn't stick with it. Mm. Um. Well, you're sticking, so, you're sticking with this one regardless, and this is a, a sad weird. show. <laughs> because, well, because, well, yes and no, but I think we need to get the yeah. con- we need to get the content warning out there that once again we're discussing a topic we have covered many, many times on this show. It just keeps happening. Uh, there is a content warning for discussion of suicide, familial abuse, the usual stuff. Um, because that comes up in episode four specifically, so uh, you have been mm-hmm. you have been warned. Um, yeah, just that happened. <laughs> um, right. Plenty to talk about with respect to that as well. I must say, uh, particularly personally, I- I'll add as well because uh, mm. if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you'll know I've had my own issues dealing with that, and also with uh, broken families of which that factors in as well. And I was like, oh boy, we're doing this again, aren't we? I just try to get away, and I can't. It just keeps coming back around. It's like the most vindictive boomerang ever. It's almost as if the the core problems being talked about are kind of universal or something. My God. They keep being visited again and again. My God. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is just a wild theory I'm throwing out there. Um, so... Um, I mentioned at the top that this is our test show, the third show, which is a Patreon exclusive, uh, for a week anyway, um, pod, and it goes to the $5 tier patrons. And if you'd like to, you know, if you'd like to join, uh, that illustrious group, head on over to patreon.com slash show, W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U is how you spell that. Um, it translates to it will probably be bad and it's referring to our podcast of course and our content that we make mm-hmm. but we think that can be we think that can be good if if enough care and enthusiasm were put into it uh, and also if it's somewhat funny but you know if you join at that tier you'd get this show and everything we do uh, as soon as it's available you would get also to uh, be part of our discord uh, and ask questions about uh, anything we're going to cover uh, that we have to answer on the podcast. Uh, 
So if you want to, you know, quiz us about Death Parade, find out what we think about certain characters, moments, what have you, join the Discord, get involved, pop into the uh, the Desho the Third channel, and uh, and ask away your questions about this uh, so far excellent show. Um, Shadon, what is your uh, what is your little review snippet? Uh, you know, if you were going to be put in the paper, if you were going to get three or four lines in the old in the old paper, uh, you know, Manchester Shadon says, and um, then you get your you get your little quotesies about Death Parade. Well, what, um, what would you say? I'm going to plagiarize a little bit here, um, and because uh, Johnny Rackham, one of our patrons, has said a show of messy, imperfect people. Uh, to which I will then uh, amend slightly and say it is a messy, imperfect show about messy, imperfect people. Um, there are a couple of mild issues with it. I'm overall positive on it. Um, some of my feelings on it I've not quite settled on yet because I can't quite decide how I feel one way or the other about one or two particular elements of the show and analyses I have of it. It's kind of, Basically, I'm being Schrodinger's reviewer the, the Mr. Fence sitter right here. <laughs> and maybe with Doc's help, uh-huh. I'll come to a conclusion on it. Um, but that being said, um, we are in, in going to discuss episodes one through four. I actually did also watch, uh, f- uh, for context, the short, the what, standalone episode uh, created three mm-hmm. years prior called Death Billiards in, a, in anticipation because I figured it would come up um, in discussion. I thought I should at least arm myself with that. Um, and I will say that Death Billiards is a great one-shot concept, worthy of expanding into an actual show. And from the first mm-hmm. four episodes I've watched, I'm very glad they were given the opportunity to do so, uh, to expand on that one-shot concept. Because in theory, you could have just made Death Billiards and moved on. It was a great one-shot. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was nice. It was a nice 25-minute thing. It didn't absolutely cry out for expansion, but I'm very happy it did. And funnily enough, uh, one of my talking points later will be a structural comparison of how the writers started creating uh, Death Parade and how they introduced both new and existing audiences if you came from Death Billiards and why it's actually pretty spot on and perfect how they've handled it for both groups. Hmm. Uh, but that discussion will come later. So I know, again, that was meant to be back in the box. Things, but basically, it's, uh, it's not flawless. Um, I think there are issues with it. I think in particular, I know one of our patrons has asked a question about this, I think that there's something a tiny bit misogynistic about how it handles the female characters. I say a tiny bit. Hmm. Um, with the way some of them are portrayed. Um, and on top of that, I also have to wonder um, if perhaps the show maybe is a bit more shallow than it might otherwise appear to be, but this is again my Schrodinger's reviewer, Mr. Fence-Sitter problem here. And we will get into that later with some deep discussion. This is like, we're going Mariana's Trench here. <laughs> Down low. Depths of the earth. Okay. You know, we're delving Ooh, too greedily good. and too deeply here. So, lots to talk about. But overall, I am still positive on it. Like, this show has a lot of great moments in it. And also, again, just for the people who might not want to hear us talk about the more sensitive stuff later, uh, with relation to the suicide plot that happens in episode 4, that is handled very tastefully. Um, it is not the most effective or tasteful 
handling of that subject matter that I've seen. I think Orange still probably is above it in that respect. But mm. one also must give credit to Death Parade for its format being just one-offs for pairs of characters who are introduced and then gone from the remainder of the story, at least so far. Uh, and in that respect, as a self-contained story for that particular character, it was handled really, really well, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. A lot of stuff you brought up there that I actually hadn't thought about very much, so I'm looking forward to getting into the meat of that. Oh, boy. Um, for, for, my, for my newspaper snippet, I would probably say something like, you know, this is uh, a... I hesitate to call it an anthology series, but it is quite episodic in its mm. nature, by, by and large. But like, it's a, just a series of stories that uh, you offer some really compelling human drama, um, uh, a very neat kind of fun and clever conception of the afterlife, uh, all in a package that is fairly impeccably produced for the time. Mm. Um and that's kind of what I would say, like to, to get into too much more of my thoughts on the show would like get into like a lot of details and stuff. But broadly speaking, I really like it. Um, I think that uh, director who will be talking about Yuzuru Tachikawa, I think like it is my least favorite of the so far. I mean, this is I've only seen four episodes. Thus far, it's my least favorite of the works of his that I've seen. But, like, that is, you know, that's like saying your least favorite, you know, flavor of ice cream or pizza or something like that. Like, it's still really good. You know, this is a very, some elite company because he's he's made some really good shows, as we'll we'll talk about uh, here in a minute. I mean, Fellowship of the Ring is my least favorite Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movie, not counting the later (laughs) ones, of course. There you go. I mean, of of the original trilogy. (laughs) I had to clarify that on the fly because I realized what Terrace was walking into there. But point being, of course, like, you know, for, for filmmakers who, like, have such a consistent standard, they'll still have their worst. But as you are right to note, like, even if this isn't your favorite, that doesn't make it bad. It just doesn't quite necessarily match up to the standard of the other works they've done. And that's fine. Like, no creator's flawless, you know? No, mm-hmm. no creator, mm-hmm. like, you know, continually bats, uh, you know, strike, you know, gets a home run every single time they make a work. It's impossible, so... Yeah, yeah, uh, I can do not but agree. So before we get into <laughs> Patreon questions and our own discussion, I'll just briefly talk about um, talk about the, the history of the show and one of the creatives involved with it. Um, as Shadon mentioned uh, early on, the genesis of this show is uh, is from a short uh, that was made for something called Anime Mirai, Future Anime, in February 2013. So what is Anime Mirai? Well, you know, back then, um, and and the Japanese government may still be doing this now. I'm not actually 100% sure, but um, for a few years there in the 2010s, uh, there was like a an initiative from the government to like basically give grants to uh, anime creatives like studios and things like that to come up with things like this as part of a big showcase and its name changed through the years. I don't think it 
I think this might be the only year it was called Anime Mirai. It changed to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, this is I feel like Yukinon would know this immediately <laughs> if he was available, but um, paging. But yeah, but yeah, it's um, paging Yukinon. <laughs> Yukinon paging Doctor Yukinon. Yeah, um, four oh four at the front desk. Uh, but like, yeah, it, the government was like, "Hey, we realize that uh, our pop culture is a very valuable export." You know, uh, the whole cool Japan mythos, right? Mm-hmm. And so it wanted to put some money into that to help mm-hmm. build it up even more and get more kind of international interest in uh, its animation. And, you know, as it, as anime has only grown in popularity uh, in the years since, I mean, I don't know how big of a factor things like Anime Mirai were, but like, you know, clearly they were on to something uh, that, that anime could continue like gaining more and more popularity and more and more mind share in places like America and the UK. Um, so I think they're... Uh, I was gonna say their heart was in the right place, but this is clearly a financial matter. But yeah. they, they were they were they were in the they they had um they they were following a good trail here. Yeah. They knew what they were. You, you know doing. what? They had good instincts. But you know what this reminds me of? Um, I firstly want to know actually before I get into that is Death Raid uh, or rather Death Billiards as a concept. Like, is not something I would have thought would have come out necessarily of a attempt to make more anime that was commercially successful because I think the concept is pretty like digestible it's certainly not a com- mm-hmm. it's not like say got the uh the complexity of say an Ihara work for example or you mm-hmm. know or it's or things like that but i wouldn't have also say put it in the same kind of like mass market appeal as something like more modern say like my hero academia or even dragon ball you know the things that have gone become wildly successful because of their shonen like arcs and this is definitely not a shonen show uh, by a long shot but what it reminds me of and this is what this dovetails into is um in the uk um at least um for a while um i don't know if this is still the case or not a lot of independent film was funded by the national lottery that we have over here mm. um so that would be like given for example film four which is a subsidiary of our channel four uh, and they would make um a number of films result. In fact, I think from around the time death billies came out was also like the last king of scotland which was a film uh featuring um I cannot remember his name, even though he's one of my favorite actors, James McAvoy. There we are. Uh, and um, I cannot remember his name either. He was playing Idi Amin, basically. It was a story about Amin. But I was like, uh, not exactly, of course, a mass appeal film, but still more of an, basically more for the art rather than the profit. And that's yeah. how I feel about Death Parade or Death Billiards and then Death Parade as well, is that I like the idea of this initiative. Is this is the kind of anime it was ultimately supporting the creation of. Even if none of all of them, of course, made it to the point where they became full-fledged series, because at least they were allowing people to demonstrate both their animation chops, but also to tell stories that are not strictly here's a boy who's got a special power and he's going to go to school and he's going to train his special power, etc., etc. <laughs> You've heard it all before, and as much as I complain about that, again from the business side of things, that that's what brings the money in. So. You know, do. there's a reason the Demon Slayer has done as well as it has. And having watched most of it myself, I'll tell you, it's not because it set my world on fire with its scintillating writing or anything like that, but because it's got what a... Con- is, what, is the, what is this, like, you, every week you're just like, it's time to slag off Demon Slayer now. It's part of the podcast, the segment. Hey, and uh, I'm under contract. I just haven't told you about it yet. 
Demon Slayer is a good. It's That's fine. The last word it, on it, it is. It is. It is acceptable. It is the. Oh, it is man. the twenty chicken nugget share box of anime. Oh no! It has so much more heart than that. Oh my god! But, well, it's it's way better than that. Uh, obviously a wendy's meal no <laughs> Just, no it's really good i like it i like it a lot it's more actually. olive garden is it is that right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when, no, when we say I, olive garden it's not the breadsticks of course that come out in infinite quantities uh look j- joke as i may about demon slayer and all that stuff like again i'm only trying to point out the business reality behind those shows and the fact that they are successful i'm not saying they're devoid of artistic merit of course but rather i'm talking about a kind of sliding scale uh, and D, oh, sorry, Death Parade to me definitely does not fit on the uh, the mass market intended commercial cess sign of thing, which is why I find the idea of this government initiative to help fund this kind of project really fascinating and also like pretty cool. Uh, nice one, Japan. Mm-hmm. Nice one, Japanese government. You got something right. Congratulations. <laughs> hey, uh, broken clock and all that, blind squirrel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, yeah. But uh, I guess it was maybe maybe a year later they announced like, hey, or 18 months later, they're like, yo, Death Billiards was really good. And so Madhouse is going to bring the director, Yuzuru Tachikawa, back uh, to do Death Parade, you know, based on Death Billiards, full on TV series, that kind of thing. And... If the name Yuzuru Tachikawa sounds familiar to you, it should, because we have covered uh, one of his shows quite in depth on this podcast. That would be Decadence. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was the director of Decadence and storyboarded a bunch of it. And uh, that was an excellent, excellent show. And I think... I certainly will be doing this later, but I'll just plant a little seed now that I think contrasting this show, Death Parade, with Decadence could yield some really interesting uh, food for thought. Uh, Also, a little thing, you know, you may have heard of it, Mob Psycho 100, Mm -hmm. seasons one and two, director, wrote the scripts, uh, well, not all the scripts, but a few scripts for episode, uh, sorry, season two of Mob Psycho. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is what I mean when I say Death Parade. Sorry, you are the least favorite thing that Yuzuru Tachikawa has directed that I've seen. I mean, that's it, uh, that's Exalted Company, though, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's done, like, other stuff, of course. You know, storyboarded an episode directed on uh, several different shows. I mean, I think notably... He got to storyboard five episodes and be an episode director for for a couple of episodes and was the overall assistant director for a show called Terror in Residence, which uh, was a Shinichiro Watanabe TV show. Um, It came out, I think, a couple years before or maybe a year before death parade i I believe it was before death parade but anyway this was tachikawa getting to work with you know the man the myth the legend the director of cowboy bebop and samurai Mm -hmm. shampoo um so you know and and i don't i wouldn't say like oh he's like a watanabe protege or you could see a lot of things in his work but but i think there is something similar about 
his work and Watanabe's work in that. Like, I feel like the things that he's directed do have something about them that make them uh, appealing to international audiences. They're not just sort of, you know, very Japanese shows Mm. that are totally for Japanese people. And there's nothing wrong with shows like that. But I mean, I think Watanabe is just famous for making these shows that are huge hits abroad. And I feel like Tachikawa, there's a little bit of that uh, about him and the stuff that he's done as well. Mm -hmm. And also I I should mention, we're not going to go into too much depth about this person, but um, Shinichi Kurita uh, was the character designer for this show. But also the character designer for Decadence. Did you uh, when you when you saw this? Like, did you think there's the Decadence guy? No, because I definitely didn't. I, I mean, in, <laughs> absolutely in, in, not. In, in our collective defense, half of the characters in Decadence were weird, like Haybot characters. So you know, yes, yeah. But I would. But the humans even look different. Whereas in this show, I feel like I don't know. They almost sort of look like. Uh, like the the, I can't remember the lady's name. Chiaki that did full Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, sorry. Um, that almost looks like her character designs kind of evolved ever so slightly. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're not made to be super cute or like mega appealing. At least most of them. They're maybe a character here and there, but like uh, all the human characters anyway. Uh, I feel like or it, there's there's a difference there. They're not like, you know, going for mass marketability. And maybe that's part of like what you're feeling, right? When you look at the show and you're like, this doesn't feel like uh, a, a show that is that is made to do that mm-hmm. um, in terms of its characters. That um, said, maybe th- that said, go ahead. Uh, I do think mm-hmm. Decim and Chiaki, like I think that they're definitely designed in a way to... Uh, inspire shipping discussion between the pair of them who knows maybe that even becomes textual by the end of the show we've only watched the first four episodes but i just get that feeling and part of that i think is the op but also i just think like you know he's like the aloof like you know mysterious bartender and he's got like the white hair and all that you know and then you got her and like she's a whole new i like i don't know i could just see i could totally see there being discussions when this came out about shipping the pair of them oh oh no Right. No, no, not no, no, not no, no. It's Jackie. Like, isn't it? Isn't that her name? The uh, well, there's there's Nona, but there's also Ona. Am I because I looked this up on Mal before, uh, or Wikipedia rather? This is where I go look again and check the name. Again. The, you mean the the, the black haired woman? Yes. at the bar. Yes. So Mal Mal has her as Kurokami no Ona. Um. Oh, she, she does she, not know she, her name. Chiyuki, apparently. Uh. Oh, okay. Okay. This is under spoiler tags, maybe. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, that's that's a spoiler. So uh, <laughs> at, well, at this point in the show, she doesn't know her name. She's just called Ona. Well, there's Ona and Nona. <laughs> well, knowing knowing her name on its own, I don't think is the end of the world. To be quiet, it doesn't like tell us anything about her. Just how could you? You ruined it for me. Uh, um, I mean, I could just go with her. calling her like you know college college era Matisha Adams. Yes, let's do that, <laughs> Morticia. <laughs> sorry but I, um, I, I can see it oh i'm with you i'm with you i feel like you know cousin or maybe aunt of 
the chick in Brother Dear Brother. Ah, uh, yes, the, yes. The, the one that Anne and Lindsay used as her avatar for yeah. so long. Like, there's a relation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I just that's all we got this week, uh, focusing on Yuzuru Tachikawa. And just a director I'm really excited about. And it's cool to go back and revisit what I, I think Death Billiards was his directorial debut. And then Death Parade, I want to say, was like the first thing. Mm. He, I, couldn't, I couldn't find any other directorial credits. Um, I know he, he, got, he only got started in the business in 06. Um, and then at Madhouse, right? And so, and then he became freelance in 2010, uh, and then was brought back into Madhouse to do what we already talked about the the billiards and the parade. So, yeah, yeah that's our that's our creative. Side. That, that's a kind of meteoric rise, actually, when you think about it. Uh, to go from Death Billiards to the full flesh version of your show, to then doing both seasons of Mob Psycho when they started coming out, and then of course Decadence. Mm-hmm. That is that is a substantial ascent from where you start. And it's deserved, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, but um, wow, like, you just look at that and you think that this kind of um, arc would have happened over a couple more years, but still, hey, all fair places. Definitely. So, before we do Patreon questions, Shadon, mm-hmm. I think this particular show, we're going to do something a little different. Uh-oh. And I've not, to- I've not told you about this beforehand, but, but hear me out. I, th- I think you'll think it's useful. Due to the kind of show this is, I think it would behoove us to frame all of our discussion by, like, talking about the core concept of the show, who the main players are. Yes, yes. What the rules are, what's going on. Yeah, we... we, Do you mind uh, kicking that off? I certainly will. Um, And I think that's a fair point because the, the context behind what's going on is important and... As you rightly point out, we'll frame a number of points I've got. So if anything, I'm just saving myself time later. Anyway, to the point at hand. So, there is a bar. It is a bar uh, for which you go there and you have no memory. But there's another person there with you. They have no memory either. And so you're both rather confused about what's going on. And there's this white-haired dude, with a, which covers one eye entirely. And he's got weird eyes mm-hmm. and, he's, and he speaks in a weird, weird manner. Like, he's almost kind of, like, not robotic, but halfway between that and being more animated. And there's, of course, college-age Morticia Adams with him uh, behind the bar. And they say, we need you to play a game. Uh, Your lives depend on it. And you have to hit a button. And the button picks the game. And the game is not anything, like, outlandish or something you might not have heard of before. Uh, The game could be something like darts or billiards or even an arcade game, for that matter. And so... You play against the person who you're there with. And as you're playing, you start feeling these pains inside of you. Physical pains. But you also start getting memories that are back of who you are. And eventually, after many like rounds of this game in which you fight against this person through the game, and maybe even outside of it, um, because you've been told your life is in danger, uh, you and them come to a realisation that you're dead. And what's happening here is this chap who calls himself Desim uh, is an arbiter and he is there to judge you, um, to judge you as a person and your compatriot, the person you may or may not know from your previous life, uh, before sending you either to heaven where you'll be reincarnated. It's not a Christian style heaven, strictly speaking. It's more maybe the uh, Buddhist reincarnation concept. Oh, Doc's holding his hand up. 
No, I'm just gesturing towards heaven. That's oh, all. Sorry. Oh, right. Forgive I, me. I, I, I apologize. I, it's, it's okay. I can confirm this will be on the test. Um, but then, of course, there is also hell. And it's not, of course, the sulfur, you know, smelling like sweaty pit hole of hell that we all know from pop culture. It is just, again, you your soul is basically just dissipated and gone forever. Like like evaporation, evaporating water, how it just spreads out. You know, it's gone. And so the game, winning the game in of itself is not necessarily what determines if you are reincarnated or not, but rather it is just through a means of which uh, Decim tests your character. So Death Braid, to sum up, is essentially a show about limbo and final mm. judgment. Uh, very St. Peter-esque, you know, at the gates of heaven, telling you whether or not you're allowed in or not. Um, maybe St. Peter is a bouncer uh-huh. in Death Parade, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> Although crucially different in a certain aspect that I will talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've, oh. you've done a, a great job summarizing everything. Um, th- there is one character that we didn't mention, and I feel like in the episodes we've watched up to this point, I mean, we know who she is, but they haven't really played that big of a part. Um, Nona... See, uh, you know, all we know is they're basically the manager yeah. of uh, of this bar. The the curious thing to know as well, and then this is just plays into part of uh, Death Parade's overall mystery um, and the questions the audience asks as they go along is that Nona is basically a young... Uh, she looks a little bit like Beatrice from um, ReZero. A tiny little bit. Hmm yeah sure um but Mm -hmm. she is physically younger than decim you would think that decim would be you know the person in charge because of his age and all or at least his appearance but that's not so there is no like apparent chronological hierarchy as far as the characters so their age is not necessarily tied into their role but what that currently means at the moment and what's going on with this bar the whole reason this whole system exists is currently not known to us and it may well not be and that's something i'm going to discuss later but anyway Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's you know <laughs> this character who knows how how much of a role they play, but I just want to point them out because I never ever thought I'd encounter an anime character named Clavis, mm-hmm. and yet and yet I have. I know that in Japanese they pronounce his name Kuravisu. Uh, oh, you mean you I, mean the uh... Clavis is what I. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, uh, the the cut fifth uh, Final Fantasy fifteen party member. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I definitely mean that person. Mm-hmm. So Clavis is uh, running the elevator and laughing at people. But uh, okay, so we have uh, broadly speaking uh, the construct laid out. So let's dive into uh, the Patreon questions. We will indeed. So I'm going to start with one here from Navy Sheriff. Shouts to Navy. Um, by the way, just want to give a quick out shout to Navy's works. Well, Navy does some writing occasionally on anime for a site. I can't remember what size. Go to uh, Navy Sherb's Twister account at Navy Sherb. Definitely go check it out. But anyway. Uh, He's a so, good writer. So They're uh, a good writer. Pardon me. Uh, how about the stark contrast between the OP and the actual content of the show, huh? What do you think about that choice? Um, <laughs> do you want to feel this one first, Doc? Or... <laughs> well... I'm I'm going to reveal I'm going to reveal something. Uh-oh. And that is that I don't really pay, I didn't pay attention to the opening. Oh. I just hardly ever do. Like 
uh, and I'm bad. I I watched it. I skipped it on episodes two, three, four. I watched it in episode one, but I just don't really recall it except for that shot at the end where they're pointing toward the sky. Does he mean maybe the jocular nature of it with all the dancing and uh, all the fun they're having? Yeah, it, um, it, it is kind of coming back to me now. Uh, yeah. But versus the the more kind of uh, somber nature of of the show, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, what's what do I think about that choice? I mean, certainly the show itself, having seen Death Billiards, is what I expected the show to be. Uh, perhaps the OP is more the outlier here, and that that was a like a a curveball. But but I don't know. I mean, like. It, it kind of almost reminds me in a way of uh, the Blood Blockade Battlefront ending. Um, have you seen this show, Shadon? I have not, no. Okay, it's, I'd recommend it. It's it's quite good. Uh, the first season was directed by the lady who directed um, Kyoso Giga. Mm. So um, the second season was not, but it's still good. Um, but no, it's, it's a really cool sort of show about people with superpowers and, and stuff. It's It's very good. Um, but the ending kind of contrasts with like a lot of the tone of the show, uh, from what I remember anyway. And it's like, almost like a, it's like a J rock song, but everyone is dancing on like a, like a lounge stage and they're all like palling around and hanging out. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe the idea with, with that and the death parade OP is to, give you a little bit of relief <laughs> when you you know uh when you know you're gonna go into a story uh that yeah. can can be you know, can be grim at times yeah it's totally a very somber show but there are moments interspersed in the show of humor uh usually uh between i'm gonna just say a name because again knowing her name is not a spoiler in my opinion because it doesn't fundamentally change what we know about her Mm-hmm. Um, which is Chiyuki. Uh, you know, uh, like with her and Desim, like when she's like yelling at him about how he's interfering with the games and all that. Like that's that's fun and enjoyable. There's good banter between the two of them. But for the most part, the tone is somber and moody. Uh, I mean, it is literally, hey, you're in limbo and you're about to get judged if you go to heaven or hell or not. Uh, or rather, if you get, uh, you know, reincarnated or not. Uh, so inevitably the tone will be... Uh, it reminds me a lot, I would say, of... The kind of it reminds me of some way of like the music of the two thousands that I'm not gonna I, maybe emo is not the right word but more like no I, I know what you mean you, I think you might get the the general mood of that where I'm not talking like that it's out and out depressing but rather it's got that kind of um, twin tinge of sadness to it um, mm-hmm. but anyway with respect to the op in a vacuum I like it it compared to the rest of the show. I think that once the show actually gets going on each on an episode by episode basis, the OP doesn't linger in my mind. Like I think that it's one of those strange things where an OP, when it's like plot relevant or like informs the show's content, then it matters. Uh, but if it doesn't, then it's not the end of the world. I don't think because it can be cal- it, by its very nature structurally, it can be compartmentalized. Um, mm-hmm. About the best theory I have is that this is essentially what that directed, uh, whose name I've forgotten. Basically, having now been confirmed that the sh- he gets the full show, he's like, I'm going to go fucking nuts on this OP. <laughs> I get to do whatever the fuck I like, and I'm going to have a dance number. I'm going to animate the pair of them dancing, because I can do. And you know what? 
more power. It's a great OP, as I say, in a vacuum. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the show, but I don't think it detracts from it either. Oh, gosh. I'm just realizing this as we... Because I was going to try to grab who directed the OP. It looks like the director himself storyboarded it. There, um, there you go. And directed it. Yeah, the director uh, did direct... But the, the ED was directed by... His name has come up, but I didn't know he was this closely connected with the show. Shinichiro Watanabe. Oh, the man. Well, that explains Very a cool. lot. The, the, I mean, the ED is, uh, apart from episode three, it is uh, is quite the thing. Uh, bloody hell. The real folk blues. Uh, well, um, <laughs> well uh, you know, uh, that's, while you were talking, I, th- I thought a, a little more about this question. Um, cause I think it is an interesting one. There is, are you familiar with, uh, Omaki? Nope. The concept of Omaki. It's sort of like, uh, like bonus features or, uh, bonus material like that is included in, you know, DVD sets or whatever. And oftentimes it's like, characters in a show acting out a funny skit um in a visual novel i just finished called the house in fata morgana um which is a freaking incredible video game Mm -hmm. um maybe the best video game story ever but like it is to say it isn't intense uh and harrowing you know is an understatement that is a heavy story But once you beat it, you unlock a bonus feature called Backstage. Uh, And you can go backstage and all the characters talk to you as if you're like a person touring through the set that they just acted out a play on. Mm. And they're like, hey, you know, here's the motivation for my character. Hey, we're going to do some banter with the other characters, even though we hated each other in the story. We're doing some fun banter. Um, I mean, and this is like freaking gendo akari doing like the toothpaste ad or the the shaving cream ad it's like there there is this like tendency to think about like anime characters as like the characters themselves rather than like embedded in their story and that's mm. the context in which they live they're actually like you know actors being put in the story and you can pull them out of it to like put in these different scenarios and they're like all fundamentally these like silly you know good-hearted people that will like do a dance in a bar in one context and then like oh it's it's time for the serious story mm-hmm. and i can totally understand how that would be like disarming to people or like it would just feel jarring and i don't know it's just something that i've kind of gotten used to over time but it is odd <laughs> i have to it, uh-huh. it is decidedly i don't know it feels decidedly like a product of japanese visual pop culture to me yeah I, I mean despite what you might think business at the bar does seem very slow to be quite honest so maybe they have enough downtime to do this sort of stuff yeah there's right. only there's only yes. so there's only so many times <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's maybe it's the lead up to them practicing a musical number to fundraise for the bar <laughs> it's like it's I a mean, charity like... drive <laughs> how many you know how many pairs of people like die that are that could be narratively linked in the way that they are. I mean, there has to be a fair bit of downtime between these things because 
Shadon mentioned that people come in pairs. They have to die at exactly the same time. Yes, that's um, right. So, I mean, I know that, you know, obviously, if you want to take all that seriously, the people dying all the time because we live in that in a hellscape, et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny to think like this bar that is the bridge between life and the afterworld. It's like, well, what do we do with ourselves in between, <laughs> between things? <laughs> let's practice a song. You know, let's let's get a musical number ready. Mm-hmm. I mean, might as well have a drink or 20 yes. while we're there. Can, can, <laughs> right. can, I mean, can, can like, you know, can like holy arbiters and reincarnated spirits get hangovers? I feel like that's an important question this show must answer at some point. Who was talking about this recently? I just was watching something where this very question... Oh, it was Claymore. Uh, yeah, the, the girls are like technically not human anymore. And it's like one of... They're all drinking and one of them is drunk. And someone's like, can wait a minute. Like, is this a thing? Can we get drunk? And it's like, well, we can choose to get drunk. Basically, we can like decide to let the alcohol affect our bloodstream or not we have that much sort of subatomic control of our bodies (laughs) one of them was like i'm getting drunk i'm just doing it (laughs) i mean never mind patron questions i'll put questions to the chat do you think ghosts and angels can get pissed answers on a postcard twitter poll (laughs) put it up all right thank you navy let's go to the next next questions uh, so this next one comes from Riku. Uh, it's not Final Fantasy X Riku. It's Re underscore KU. R-E underscore KU. Uh, first question. Do you think the death gain system is being presented as potentially suspect, broken, unfair, and how? Right. Oh, boy. Because, this oh, boy. Oh, boy. A talking point, I'm sure, that we had written down. Both I, this, this I did. This I indeed All did. Right. Um, and I think the the immediate answer I have to give is... Yes, because we actually have on record from the first two episodes that Desim came to a judgment based on incomplete information. That is factual. That happened. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I mean, this is the same as in any justice system where, you know, if you have a percentage rate of people like, like with capital punishment... You know, if you accept that an X number of people out of how many go through that who are who are killed by capital punishment are innocent, then the same applies in a similar thing here. If there is a failure rate of this, you know, judgment system and it exists, then, well, it is fundamentally broken. And just by virtue of them being one of them, you know, that must have happened before. And this is also, I think, why Chiyuki is actually there, because mm-hmm. this is... <laughs> a really interesting thing I think the show does, depending on how you look at it. And this could also potentially be me reading way too much into it, as I am often want to do. Um, so to answer Riku's question initially, the show gives us categorical, like, textual evidence that it does not work. Um, even if they made the right call in that particular case in episode one, that doesn't mean that they don't make the wrong call again, because Desim came to that conclusion by you know, having incomplete information. It's like you said before, broken clock can still be right twice a day. Yeah. But- I would I would also I don't want to derail you here, but I I just want to chime in and say I would argue, at least in Nona's opinion, that uh 
Chiyuki slash Ona was also wrong. Mm. So that two two bad calls were made. Um, because at the, at the end, she's thinking about that first case again and saying like, well, actually, you know what? This guy was so distrustful, he would never have been happy. He would never have had a happy life. Like, he would never be happy no matter what. And then she says, well, I actually think Chiyuki has a long way to go. I don't, you know, I, I think she's not not necessarily great here or perfect. She's got to improve. So I guess one could argue that both both calls were were screwed up mm-hmm. uh, in that case. But that doesn't affect the point that you're saying. I just no. wanted to chime in. But go ahead. So prepare for me really going uh, all in on this because let's firstly pose a question here, which is, is this, um, you know, system of going to the bar and being judged the, for lack of a better phrase, official, like, mono-religious, like, <laughs> uh, like you know, afterlife? Is it the one afterlife that exists? Is it the official de facto way in which people are judged as by whatever higher power has put Decim in there? Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that the bar is empty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that I'm using facts. Like, Firstly, we have to ask, is that the case? Or or do we get into the conspiratorial stuff where it's like, actually, no, this is some sort of, like, you know, method of feeding souls to, like, you know, Yogg-Sothoth or something like that, where it turns <laughs> out that, like, the, the man behind the curtain is actually an extra-dimensional being that feeds on the dead. That would be a fun twist, by the way. That's not, that's not me complaining. But if we take it, if we take the first answer, which is that this is the official, like, you know, this is Death Parade's own version of, like, you know, St. Peter or whatever, you know, divine judgment system that you find in religion, then what I find really fascinating is that it is therefore inherently deeply critical of that. It is deeply critical of religion as an endpoint for judging one's value in life and asserts that even, you know, that there is no omnipotent uh, presence that can accurately judge people. Um, because Desim, even though he has access to the memories of people, he, there are two key points. One of which is he doesn't seem to have access to all of them, at least not as presented. And two, he is completely unable to ascribe value to these memories in the way that Yuki can. That's where she, for example, discusses the fact that in the first two episodes, there's the wife... Um, uh, whose name is Machiko, and she has mm-hmm. an affair. And the thing is, though, on like she, in does, the, she does not. <laughs> uh, what, do, does she not? I could have sworn that. Well, she she was in bed with the dude. Oh, is that? Wrong? Oh, wait, no. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm sorry. You're totally right. It's it, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the ongoing thing that no. the husband thought it was. It was like a one time thing that it, happened a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, and. And she, it was like a one night stand that she felt really guilty about. Yeah. That was, yeah, yeah, you're my bad. But what I mean by that is, if you strip away all of the context from that, that is a bad thing still that's happened. She was with him at some point. She made a mistake. Uh I don't, I don't recall the show necessarily being specific about how recently that uh, one night stand was before the marriage because I think we can agree, Doc, that the closer that was to the marriage, the worse it is, relatively speaking. Yeah, that does not we make do, it. The only that... thing, no, no, you're right. The, <laughs> the, I hear you what you're saying. The only thing we do know is that it definitely is her husband's baby. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Um. Sorry, I lost the train of thought. But what I was, um, what I was gonna say though is like with that context strip, that is a bad thing for sure. 
But is no? Can we afford no sympathy to her for doing that? Like, I I think it's one of those situations where we can still say it was a bad thing, but we can understand how she came to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this leads me. Uh, this is again. This is the rabbit hole that's been opened here. This leads me into uh, something else, which is I'll firstly end by saying I love the idea that Death Parade is being critical of the idea of religion as a judgmental force when it can offer no. Um, and by religion, I'm of course talking like through Decim, of course, and his fellows. It can offer mm-hmm. no um, real qualitative examination of the worth of a human being. That's why Chiyuki's there because she has to offer her own insight and is inherently flawed anyway. Uh, because he cannot view all the necessary memories that would be there. But but does that not then also extend to us as the audience? And this is where shit really goes better. Mm-hmm. But, but, <laughs> buckle up your seats, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye here. Because whether we like it or not when we watch this show, we are in turn invited to judge the characters in it. And the show doesn't even tell us to do that. There's no wink or nod or anything like it. doesn't like get didactic about that. It is just an inherent part of how we process this particular text. I defy anyone to go through watching this show and engaging it and not coming out of an opinion on the characters within. I think that's fundamentally impossible. I defy mm-hmm. you, for example, to say that you watch episode four, you watch Rabbids to Yosuke, and you just completely come out thinking nothing about him. That's impossible. I defy you to do that. Like, you'd have to be a Google algorithm to do that, basically. (laughs) Yeah. So, inevitably, this is not just a question of the appraisals that Desim has on the characters, but also us. And this is where we run headfirst into what I think is probably going to be my biggest criticism of Death Parade. Um, But again, this is where I get into my fence-sitting problem as well, because we don't get, in my opinion enough information to make a concrete conclusion on a lot of the characters in these episodes. I know that sounds contradictory to what I just said about the fact that you can't feel anything. I've fought back and forth about the characters we've seen thus far, with the exception of Yosuke, who I think is pretty unambiguously sympathetic. That, to me, seems pretty rock crystal, like, rock solid there. But, I mean, going back to Machiko, for example, she had that one-night stand, but what was the context of that? What was the build-up to it? What was the lead-up to her doing that? What pressure was she under... Like, in her own emotional state, like, was she emotionally fragile? Did she feel... Like, what happened in the run-up to that? And... I think she was... I would say she's unambiguously, like, I'm I'm good with her. Much, like, I... I don't think she was a bad oh, person. Oh, no, no, no. I think I, that doesn't... Uh, you know what I mean? I think her and Yosuke, you could say that about. No, no, um, no, no, no. I no. I, I, let, me, let me backtrack. Don't concern yourself right now with coming up with a conclusion one way or another, but rather I'm talking about having information to come up with a more informed one. It could very well still be, you still feel the same, but by virtue of the way this show is constructed, it can only have a very limited amount of time giving backstory on its characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And that to me makes it feel like it's difficult for us as an audience to judge the um, characters in there and then also simultaneously criticize Decim's, uh, you know, inability to do so. Because um, he, of course, only has access to the memories uh, that he does. But by extension, we only have access to the memories the writers choose to portray to us, which is a very short mm-hmm. amount. And then you run into more problems where you could argue then, well, maybe the message is that there is no way for us to concretely judge anyone ever. 
on the basis of their experience. We'll always have an incomplete picture. And I actually find that a very dissatisfactory answer because, again, the amount of um, memories or, like, history behind these characters that we experience is dictated by the creators. It's got nothing to do with the laws of the universe. All, you know, Decim's, like, incomplete memory is a function of the text. In you know, it could be any way it wants to be to fulfill the story. And this is where, of course, I'm getting to all this mess shit and all that. And, that's, and this is why I find this a bit, like, head-scratchy. But that's why I just think to myself, like, I'm not saying I'd, I don't have an opinion on the characters in the show. And I'm not saying it doesn't make me think about them. And, again, I mentioned that, you know, you can't watch this show without judging on them. But a lot of it feels very thin. And... I think for the shows like talk about like the complexity of human nature, the fact that we get scant little detail as we do is a problem. With one exception, or rather two. Uh, the first exception, of course, being Yosuke. That's fair enough. I think his is well fleshed out enough, in my opinion. Um, the other one being the couple in episode three, where I actually will argue later that it goes too far in giving too much detail, but I'll get to that when we get to it. Hmm. Um hmm. But yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I like the 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 idea, and I'm I'm speaking by the way as an atheist here, so I I have a bias on like you know thinking, hey, this criticizing like you know omnipotence and the idea that there is an all-seeing consciousness that can judge us accurately mm-hmm. and you know equitably because that doesn't that's not the case. But in turn, we don't have more privileged information, generally speaking to come to a dissimilar agreement um, based on enhanced info that I think would also then in turn like bolster that point the show is trying to make, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's the book, conversely, and this is where I say like about me being a fence sitter, how do you get more time in to do that? I said, I think, funnily enough, this about maybe decadence, like, you know, there's only so much runtime one has to fit these things in. And you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And that's why I feel like... "Mm, I don't know. I'll pass the book to you now, Doc. Okay. So do I think that the death game system is being presented as potentially suspect, broken, or unfair, and how? Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, and there can... This leads to like a whole mess of things that I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. Um... And the first one is that this show is about a system that uh, like the character drama is like a good hook. Right. But like, it seems like, like what's really kind of going on and, and what we're going to, dig more deeply into as the show goes forward what the what the show hopefully we'll talk about more is is this this system uh of eternal kind of um praise and blame and moral consequences and you mentioned decadence that is another show that is deeply about Mm. systems just kind of economic Mm. systems um more than like religious system uh, or, or something like that, or some kind of metaphysical, you know, kind of uh, moral system. And, you know, Decadence ended up being about breaking that system and breaking out of it and why that was a good thing that we should do. And I'm curious if the show will do the same thing since it 
you know, precedes decadence by like five years, you know, uh, is will this go to the same links? You know, how how has Yuzuru Takchikawa's thought developed or mm. will it be the same? Like, will it be kind of a consistent thing like presents system and then shows how it's bad and then we should break it right i think that's an interesting thing to think about like in the context of his work but so does the show show it's potentially suspect broken or unfair well i think it does i want to say something here i think about how i think the system is different from saint peter judging you at the pearly gates as you brought up right like uh Mm -hmm. the kind of christian uh idea that like when you die, your soul will go before the gates of heaven or before God or whatever, and all the deeds that you've done in your life will be weighed, good and bad, like, and how how that balances out determines the fate of your immortal soul. Um, and then that kind of changes over time to where, like, you know, people say, like, well, Ultimately, it matters like what your beliefs are if you have the correct beliefs rather than like just your deeds. And but that's, you know, I I think for the purposes of what we're talking about, it's more useful to compare Death Prey to what what you are talking about and what I just outlined, that whole idea of weighing good deeds. I think this is not at all what's going on. Mm. I think then if that was what was going on, why have the game? I think what's going on is this game exists to put the two people in it into the most tense, stressful kind of blender, a trash compactor uh, possible to see that when the chips are the most down, when they're facing the dire circumstances, um, really personal ones how do they respond what choice do they make um and that's kind of how their true self is shown mm. and then you might say like well what's the deal with all the all the rest of the context well i think the idea is like not that these people are being judged based on what they've done in their life but it's almost like their life you're shown everything in their life mm, yeah. to see how they've prepared for this moment, like what kind of person they really are when faced with like these sort of really significant choices. And like almost like, you know, your life isn't going to be weighed, but it's going to like exist as this thing to prepare you for the afterlife. Mm, yeah. I and like I, I I think I get where you're coming from because that would explain also the strippy way of their memories because when you pair them down to just their souls and I think this maybe the show is taking the position that the soul in this case is the moral compass it's not a question of necessarily um, like the cumulative knowledge and experience and wisdom that you have that dictates your morality and your ethics but this otherwise like you know like spiritual aspects that is put in your body and like so basically it's i'm not sure i feel about this as someone who is ultimately very much in favor of free will but i see i I think it's one of those things where i suppose you're damned like from the birth from birth basically Uh, in that case mm. 
So I don't I don't think that that's what's going on. Okay. Because I think I think because the like if that were the case, like all the backstory wouldn't necessarily matter. Mm. But the backstory, like kind of the choices they make in life and how they respond and how they grow and live, that like your soul is malleable. Like it's shaped by that. Right. And, it, okay. and there's like a loop. Like it's shaped by that stuff, but then it also through exercise of the will, like the person can do things and shape their circumstances. And and that's why, like, you know, I think that there would be if this if a system like this were like real, people who were forced basically to do shitty things like the characters of phantom let's say oh boy (laughs) uh that were like forced into this life of awful servitude where they basically were their lives were under threat if they didn't carry out these horrible acts in a case like this all that stuff is stripped away and you're not like being forced to act any kind of way like Mm. you're just sort of making a decision based on like who you are um now i guess it it would be your responsibility in life if you led that kind of life not to let that life warp and twist like the goodness that was in your heart i mean fucking good luck with that i guess (laughs) but but yeah so that's what i think is happening here now this is not me saying that the show shows that the system is like a fair system because like it really kind of brings down deity and humanizes it Mm. and you know all these these uh judgments are being carried out by essentially human beings certainly fallible beings like us right and like maybe that's just because you know I don't know, maybe it's for entertainment's sake, right? Or maybe it's because um, that people behind the show believe that, well, the only way to think about the spiritual world is, the only way we can think about it is in anthropomorphic terms. Mm -hmm. Like, because that's all we have. That's the only kind of language we have. We don't really have concepts to describe something that transcends humanity and human experience. Um, and so like when you do humanize it, like you absolutely see, oh my God, like human beings or something like human beings, even if they have more power, right. Even if they have access to, uh, excerpts of your life that are particularly relevant, um, are going to make mistakes. They're going to either judge too harshly or they're going to like let you off the hook you know, because they don't have like omnipotence and in a way, a system like that, like thinking about a system like this and if it were real is really disquieting because, you know, like religious folks sort of bank on this idea that like, well, life can be really shitty and unfair, but like once we get to the next world, Everything will be as it should Every, be. Like everything's the wheat, a test. The wheat, the wheat will be sorted from the chaff. The sheep from the goats. Like everyone will get their just desserts. Like me, the good boy, will get. You know, even if everyone didn't see it, like I'll, I will get what I deserve because life was shitty to me and I was shit on so much. 
And these other people who were bad and clearly didn't deserve all the good things they got will be brought down to the level they need to be. That kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, um, this show is putting something out there that's definitely not that, that is subject to all the same kinds of, of error. Um, because it, it appears to be, I don't know, like it's, it's a very human sort of system. And maybe this, this is the only way we can think about systems or maybe like Tachikawa is very much like, you know, systems are always going to be flawed, like in decadence, you know, like there's always going to be these, uh, these holes, yeah. uh, these ex- things, these imperfections. Are, are explosive, that man. That being yep. said, I feel like I would be dissatisfied if it turned out, joke as I might, that where they're really sending these souls is to, like, you know, some sort of cosmic horror that's just eating them for lunch. Like Dairy Lee Dunkers. Would... <laughs> I would not like that. I don't no, like. <laughs> I, I, I think that this works better if you take it on the, the fact that this system is intended to do right, to be just, to be fair, but is ultimately not. Um... I think that works better for the material and works better for the themes and implications. I agree. That's my feeling on that. Yeah. Yeah. So my answer, the short answer is like, is yes. I think that it is being shown to be, I guess shown to be unfair. I don't know. I'm kind of having to think about it. Like maybe, (laughs) um, Shadan, if if every if everything is subject to human error, and you know if every judgment is made based on a limited perspective, then is it is it right to expect some kind of fairness out of a system? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it's no more unfair. If everything's the same level of unfair, then is nothing unfair. I well, guess is what I'm trying to say. The, the, the thing is, though, like, we assume uh, that religious, like, afterlives are from a higher order and therefore defined as being free of that kind of flaw. Sure. Um, sure. Although I'm sure they- Christian scholars could debate that. Given that, of course, the very idea of uh, sin comes from, you know, the fallen angel uh, who Gabriel right. was it Gabriel? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know it's Satan, no. but like, what was what was the name Lucifer. before? Lucifer. That's the one. Lucifer. I don't know why. I don't know why I said I should have known that, but you know what I mean. Like, and obviously, you know, like if if Lucifer was God's creation, and how was that floral? And um, you you can go on and discuss that all day if you want, but this ain't mm-hmm. Sunday, and I ain't in school, so I'm skipping it. Um. But I think that's the way I've always see this kind of thing, where because this is presented as being a, uh, you know, a higher order thing, uh, a spiritual thing, even if it is goofy like arcade game nonsense at one point, uh, there is an implication that we understand uh, as people who know about religion and otherwise consume fiction about it, or maybe even are religious ourselves, that the inherent human flaws that we suffer from and have to overcome to be accepted into the that place, uh, we our baseline understanding is that doesn't happen there. <clears throat> that's not it, that it does in this show. And, and yes and yes it does. You know? And that and that's intriguing and that's yeah. worth discussion. Um I yeah. like that. I, especially if you're an ultra cynic like me and you think that of course given the Bible was rewritten many times by men, how can in turn like, you know, that truly be the scripture of God that then says how to live your life, you know? But again, I'm not gonna be in school on Sunday. 
you can go have de- that debate with someone else. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm i going to sleep probably on my original thought, though, about how much detail the show chooses to give. Because while I do hear where you're coming from about the idea of pairing it away to test one's character devoid of it, there's no denying that on a meta level, the backstories are important to the show mm-hmm. from an entertainment level. Like, they are the engaging elements of it, uh, of the characters. Um, totally. Because in theory, you could do the show where that we never learn any of that. We get hints of it from their behavior, but we never see, like, this the memories. Like, you have to, again, think of what I've said before about the idea of there being two audiences in shows, one of which being the characters mm-hmm. in Simon Us, too. And Decim is one audience. He is the diegetic audience in this show. Um, and by extension, I think Chiyuki as well, because I think she gets access to the memories, if I'm not mistaken. And we could probably yeah, lump in all the other, the other stuff. No, I don't, I don't know if she does, because she's being surprised all the time, right? Because, like, Decim is whispering to her, that's not really this one girl, it's another girl who got plastic surgery to look like her. And she's uh, like, oh okay. my god! You know what I mean? He, so he like, gets. I had to think a minute, like, but I guess she doesn't have the same well, the same kind of what sight. It, whatever you boil down to, at least Destin yeah. definitely counts in that category. Yep. Uh, but mm-hmm. we in turn are also the audience, and we kind of like are sometimes um, simpatico with him, where we see the same things he sees in the moment those memories come pouring out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, one has to then note that why we're getting those memories and why he's getting them are different things. The show could, in theory, function without ever seeing any of the flashbacks. And that's, again, where my point comes in. I wonder, and I'm going to sleep on it, I'm going to not let this factor into my appraisal of the show thus far, um, whether or not like the limited detail we do get for these characters' backstories makes it work. I mean, by contrast, just to compare here, um, let's take... Um, Let's take what was her name again? It was it was uh, the counterpart to Yosuke in episode four. Uh, I'm oh gonna... boy, the TV hostess. Yes, I can't remember uh, her name. The, the, Let me. The... Uh... I had the character list up and I don't anymore. <laughs> no. I don't. Oh, it's Misaki. There we go. I had it on my notes. Okay. I just forgot to look. Um, like Misaki, you know, neglectful mother and all that. Um, the one comparison point I can think of of anime that we've talked about this year is from Wonder Egg with Rika's mother. But although they principally have similar backgrounds, even though one, of course, is not a TV star, but nonetheless, the core idea of neglectful parent is there, um, mm-hmm. they serve different functions. Um, and it speaks to where Death Parade operates differently for something like Wonder Red, because Rika's mother in that show conceptually exists for Rika's sake, narratively. Irony being, of course, she doesn't do jack shit for in the show properly. But you get my point. She is she <laughs> yeah. is a character. She is a character who exists to drive Rika's character growth and serve as like the source of her conflicts. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. Misaki is solely self-contained. Yeah. Um, and, and she turns it around in the, yeah. over the course of her life. You know? Yeah. So. But the the thing is though, like because Rika is the source, like the the focus mm-hmm. of, and the intent, and she's a long standing character. That's why even though Rika's mother appears once, really in so, any substantial detail, it doesn't matter that we then don't really see her again. Whereas Misaki, like we get the like ideas of like how she's been abused at one point, but it's very very brief. Um, yeah, and I wonder if that limits the effectiveness of it overall. Um. But again, I, I I feel bad for saying this because how do you do it differently in this show's expected mm-hmm. format? Because it is a one-shot episode per couple that come in. 
Well, let me let me argue the the counterpoint and say that I think that the show baits us to judge these characters, but because the results at the end of the episode are always so different from our initial conceptions, like it's really trying to drive home the point of like, you can't, we are in no position to judge these people. Human beings aren't, you know, because we don't know everything. And even if the people here that do know more than we do, like fuck up. Mm. And so, so yeah. So I think that it's okay that we don't get like the whole scope of their lives because the, we're not like necessarily meant to judge them. Like we get these very particular snippets that inform us of why the characters are behaving the way they are and why they're making the decisions they're making in the game. Mm. Um, I, these really significant pieces. Yeah. I, I half agree and I half don't. And the reason I half don't is because of two different reasons. Um, one of which firstly is Misaki. Um, she, does something in episode three, which I'm going to address separately in our coming upcoming question, that caught me completely by surprise. Sorry, episode four. Yeah, you're right. And that caught me completely by surprise what happened. It was shocking, but it was shocking yeah. in a way that I actually found a bit out of like whack with the show, to be quite honest. Um, really? Interesting. I'll, I'll get to that when we discuss it. Um, and then, of course, conversely, we have the issue I mentioned with episode three and the fact that we learned too much about one character. And I think the story would have been better had we had less detail, but that's a separate point. Hmm. Um, it's a difficult balancing act. And I admit that my criticism here is probably not entirely fair because the show is doing exactly what it is setting out to do. And how do you fit in more content, uh, sorry, context on a, each episode for the couples of the, there? in the limited time span you have maybe it's if i maybe if like my criticism is legit maybe it's just more a failure of over ambition and if i if that's true then i'll say is well at least they tried um and again i'm not saying that what we get is bad by no means at all with the exception of the episode Mm -hmm. four thing which will come to in a moment um all of the stories work um they they do their job uh they are engaging but i just think could they have been more so could we have learned more well, like to to what end? Like, what what do you think would be added to like the final, the game and like the judgment and all that good stuff? Like, what? Well, what would more backstory give us? Well, episodes one and two show that there is a you know a level of complexity that needs to be reached when coming to these judgments. Where after the facts of episode one, there is the question of whether or not we got it wrong. And. Granted, this would maybe perhaps undo the entire thesis of episode one where these where Destiny is fallible. But my argument then would be that if you're then trying to put the point out there that you need as much information as you can possibly get your hands on to uh, you know, come to a conclusion, but then the show doesn't give us as much information as, again, speaking strictly for myself here, that I would like, that seems a bit unfortunate. I mean, again, it's, it's the thing that I mentioned where the reason that we don't get to see all of the memories that we might otherwise want to beyond the time constraint, even though it's still facts into it, is not to do anything to do with Decim's like written power or lack of power in getting the whole picture, but it's because the writers have chosen it to be that way. Um, sure. So, mm. but I don't think. Well, that's the thing is I don't I don't think us coming to the right decision is like the point. Of, it's ine- of what's going it, on, no, you know what I mean? No, it's not. Um, 
it's an inevitable consequence of the way the show is structured. I mean, again, like I mentioned before, I defy you to come to the end of episode four and not have some opinion on Yosuke, for example, or by consequence, Misaki. It's an unavoidable facet of that. And I think that whenever like a show has something like this, where you're playing a kind of mystery thing on who these characters are and you're piecing it together as you go along, and the end question is the judgment, uh, I think that it unsilently invites you to do the same. Yeah, but that's but it it does. But then it shows you you shouldn't do that. Yeah, because, but <laughs> you know what I mean. And like I think that no matter how much more context we got, I would still feel empathy for all six of these characters. I would still feel like none of you should be evaporated into the void. All of you should have a chance to be reincarnated, mm-hmm. like because you've all suffered. And you've all like there's all been there's been context and reasons to the decisions you've made in mm-hmm. in your life, and I don't think that you're these these horrible people. And it sucks that like you now have to be uh, you now have one of you perhaps or both of you have to be like the the um, you you don't get to exist anymore. Your soul is extinguished, uh, which is like awful to think about mm-hmm. and, and so i yeah i just don't i don't see um again the audience being able to come to the right decision as the as as the point when especially because the show i mean i think we agree that saying like these like systems are inherently unfair and can be exploited and like there's human error involved and there's not really a way to get it right. Hmm. Well, that's what I would. That's what I would say. I know that you might think that that's unsatisfying. I think you alluded to before, but like, yeah, I did. I just don't. I, I don't think more context again would like shed. You could never have enough context to say. I think. Hey, character X. You get to go to heaven or hell. No amount of context, in my opinion, would give would would would. Uh, give me like what I felt was like mm. enough information to be like, yep, damn that guy. <laughs> I'm always going to be like, yep, pro heaven, pro reincarnation. Pro reincarnation. Fair enough, fair enough. We'll, um, we'll agree to screen that. I mean, I, I'm just still going to let my thoughts settle on that to be quite honest because mm-hmm. it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, ironically enough thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the paradox for you. All right. Uh, so well, shall we move on to the next question then, Doc? Oh yeah, let's do it. All right, so this is the one that's going to lead into my talk about this uh, particular scene in episode uh, four. Um, this is going to be for Riku. What do you think about the presentation of the female characters who have faced judgment so far, uh, all of whom are duplicitous but desperate victims in different ways? Oh, dear. Um, this is where I talk about the slight vein of misogyny that goes through this. I'd, I, would, I think duplicitous is a strong word, especially to characterize Machiko. Well, I would, I would, I mean, that's just like such a character claim. Like, it just seems such a broad, like she made a mistake in her life and had like a, you know, one time thing with another dude. Like, I don't feel like that makes you a duplicitous person. Well, as maybe- hurtful as I, I would be hurt if I was on the other end of that, of course. But like, when you're, when we're not the husband, we're, as you said, invited to take the role of like subjective, like looking at someone's life and like 
I would not call her duplicitous. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would use that use use that word. Well, well, that's uh, just to translate from Riku's word. I think what they mean by that is more not necessarily as strong as that, but more that they are. How's put this? Um, is it what's the what's the f- um, thing for lying again? Well, actually, that's probably not. That's no better actually, because that's equally strong. That's a, that's a syndrome. Then ignore me on that. Yeah. Basically, that they are presented consistently as people who present falsely. They deceive all, the decept- other. They people, are deceptive. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. So this is where I get to talk about what I think is the mild, and I, I stress the word mild here. This is mm-hmm. not me like saying this is full blown like you know slavery apology of bullshit where there is full blown <laughs> misogyny. But there is a vein of it in this, I think. And I think it boils down to a couple of things I can talk about with each of the three female characters we've met thus far who are judged. Um, we've already talked about um, about Machiko, so I'm not going to believe that point anymore. Um, although I will come back to addressing her in a broader sense later. The second of the two characters uh, is, from Ma- is Mai. And to give context, uh, her and um, her male friend, whose name I've forgotten... Um, they actually were childhood friends and she had a crush on him, but he had a crush on someone else. Um, and that someone else left his life. Uh, this is long before they died, of course. Uh, she works at a bowling alley. Um, and then they... Um, they Like, he tried to talk to her on a bus home and there was a crash and that's what killed them both simultaneously. But they're, the guys who he's with, and this is, again, many years after he sent Cena, say... Hey, uh, isn't she that person who did this and that? At least that's how the episode initially presents it. What she's actually done is ambiguous, and this will lead into something else I'll talk about separately. Um, but what we then find out is she actually had plastic surgery to look more like the person that he had a crush on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in pretty hard on this, because for one... How in the flying blue fuck do you get plastic surgery to look like someone when you last saw them when they were 10 and you're now working in a bowling alley? That's that's a plot hole of itself. But the more damning thing about this is how it paints her character. Because if I'm going to be quite honest, if I had someone do that because they wanted to look like someone I was into as a child in the way children are, you know, like close friends are, I think that's fucking creepy. You can that Google is, them. That is, you could, you could Google them. That's still the, stalk, the fake that's, Google would be. That's still creepy, though. Oh, it is creepy. I just was thinking about the mechanics of how you do it. Yeah, you just moved away. I don't think she died, so you could like maybe it's like, oh, I found this girl on Facebook, and this is what she looks like now. So now yeah. I'm gonna get the the surgery. So, but it, I think logically possible, but still very creepy. No, yeah, sure. and and that's kind of ruins uh, episode three a little bit for me. Like I like, I really like the intent and the idea, and I'm gonna go into it more detail because this is more general about the women. But again, this is not good. This is problematic uh, for her character, and it's just completely hand waved away. Uh, and gloss over and i think it's a legitimately like a legitimate flaw in the show of which there are very few i admit but i don't think one can get away from the fact that this like relationship even if it is just in like the twilight hours of their lives like the the twilight of twilight hours of their lives for no matter that matter is right. built on this ground <laughs> like 
Maybe it doesn't matter because they're dead. Maybe that's why he's just like, bygones be bygones. Like, that's that's some fucked up shit, but whatever. Um, I don't know. And funnily enough, I now also just had the thoughts curse me that it would have been neat if they did something visual with that, where she looks like her like adult self if she'd never gone through the surgery. Uh, after that revelation, they could have done something with oh, that. Oh, they do. I'd... They do. Oh, like if you I, look, I if miss- you look in the uh, well, if you look in the elevator, like oh. they show half of her face is freckled and has a droopy eyelid, uh, and the that. other half is like the the post surgery face. Ah, oh, you're right. I was wondering what that was, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't put two and two together. Okay, that's good. Uh, that's a good thing. I'll allow that. But yeah, this is this is creepy as fuck. Don't get me wrong. Um, and then finally, I need to talk about Misaki and. This is the thing that kind of really threw me and where I was asking for more context. She starts, like, taking Yosuke's head and bashing it against the arcade cabinet they're playing mm-hmm. in. And it's shockingly violent to the point where I thought, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Because the context we have of her is that she has been abused and indeed she is murdered by one of her production assistants in a fit of rage. Mm-hmm. But when did we ever see her doing that to someone else or something like equivalent where she was that violent? She just seemed to be bitchy more than anything. It went way too far. <laughs> It went way too far, in my opinion. Um, that that moment of violence, and you could argue that she was like desperate to not like you know lose because she was and all that. And maybe all methods were justified, but I don't know. There's something about that that was just like, whoa, this is too much. This is way mm-hmm. too much. Where's the point? So he's bashing a kid's head into an arcade cabinet to kill him. It's not even a question of like doing something like strangling him or something like this. Is like out and out like brutal violence this is something i expect to see in clockwork orange this is coming from an, a- <laughs> yeah. from an actress in a tv show what the fuck and so this is why uh this is why there's an uncut version on funimation there's you could pick do you want to watch the uncut version of the simulcast version i did not realize that and that explains that then and look i'm not a prude i think it's for, i think if you listen to the podcast right now and take me on good faith you'll agree that i'm not that <laughs> Um, you know, there are times when I'm totally down for uh, ultra violence. This went too far. This mm. went too far, in my opinion. And mm. that's inter- interesting. Um, um. And this all ties together with all three of these women, where I feel that beyond that, they also tend to be framed as their like you know life problems being around either motherhood or relationships mm. or adultery. Um, and I'm not entirely sure if I like the idea of that gendered like through line there that's a that's a good point like i think yeah i I think that that's a very valid thing to bring up actually yeah and this is again where i mentioned about more concepts because if if for example like just to hype just to fan wank hyper hypotheticalize here if there was a scene in which like say and i hate to imagine this because it's grim as it is but like where someone had done something similar to her like, as part of the abuse that she suffered. Like, if we saw someone smash her head against you, by the way, not advocating for this at all, if you know what I mean. I'm <laughs> talking the race... exploitation films. I'm, ta- I'm talking <laughs> racially. But then you can yeah. see how that then bleeds through to her behavior, where it has, like, affected her. That would have made more sense to me. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there is, as I say, a thin vein of misogyny written into the text about the women here, because it seems very focused on their gender... Uh, and gendered roles assigned to them rather than actual experience. And the funny thing is, I say that though, but the Misaki actually has a really neat thing that she does at the start of the episode she's in, which I'll discuss separately, which shows that they don't necessarily write about gender all the time as being the source of their woes, uh, but mm-hmm. much of it seems to be derived from that. 
And I will also note one final thing before I pass the book on to Doc here, which is I am speaking from the perspective of someone who's seen episodes one through four only. Uh, the show could potentially change over time to where it becomes more even on that. And I will yeah. also equally say um, that the men uh, seem to also kind of have that similar thing as well, if I must be quite honest, where they're portrayed very much in a gendered sense, also about their behavior. Um We've got, like, you know, the abusive, like, husband who's literally ugly and paranoid. Like, he thinks that she's a, she's a harlot, you know, that he has no trust in her whatsoever. That's a very stereotypical man thing to do in texts like this, texts like this you know, where, like, he doesn't trust her, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of yeah, thing. I, yeah, I think the, the other two guys are not... Um, kind of the same way but i totally see where you're coming from with yeah. the first character yeah i think is it is yosuke right who's i feel yeah. like he's sort of like like the problem i wouldn't see that as like a gender no and, I, I let me just the, also also just step in there and say with yosuke that um him being a guy uh, i'm not going to say that that kind of thing that doesn't happen to women but let's be clear here like suicide is more prevalent in men um, and I last time I checked, that was definitely the case in Japan, and particularly with his clique, where he seems to be either borderline or actual hikikomori. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, like there isn't a time and a place for that, but I don't know. The application with the women in particular just seems a bit too cliched, obvious, and slightly misogynistic, as I say. But, anyway. I mean, I think you can you can tell that the show is written by a Japanese man. Yeah, is, is what I would say. Like, yeah, it definitely you know is, and and I'm not saying that he's you know a, a misogynist or that there was a lot of ill intent there, but I just like you were saying like just kind of the the starting premises and the framing of everything around you know relationship to your man or your kids like it it feels just like it was a blind spot and like you said maybe there will be improvements going forward yeah. in this area because we've only seen a third of the show uh so we'll see hopefully that's the case um i think you know i i would again not call um machiko duplicitous i feel like the show is not like sort of condemning like it, i wasn't thinking after this first episode like man the show is condemning like all of of woman and womanhood as like inherently liars or whatever like um and i, I think that i unsurprisingly i think well i'll disagree with you on misaki especially given the whole context of her uh of her narrative now a couple of points i think would for my case i think that the like the violent act she commits if you understand it as like it's almost as if she wasn't in control because when she finishes she didn't realize what she was doing because she was like yosuke yosuke oh my god what what happened to you what did I do that? You know what I mean? It's like she had like a break. She, when she f- found out that she was dead and she was going to be separated from her children 
thing that she had kind of come around on in her life to caring about and really embracing being a mom and loving it. Like she lost it and lashed out and clearly blacked out and didn't realize what she was doing. And so the motherhood thing is a part of it. Now, again, oh, yeah. like see our criticism, but, but like, you know, I think it's not unreasonable for, uh, well, maybe it is unreasonable uh, on their part, but like, it doesn't strike me as beyond the bounds of sense that you would have a parent that when, when being informed that they're going to be separated from their kid, if they don't overcome this one obstacle, they're going to lash out like that something in them is going to like some something feral almost instinctual is going to come out. I mean, I, I would react in a, in a strong manner to being given such a declaration. And I think the fact that we see her as physically abused, like throughout her life makes it to me again, plausible that she would have these like, episodes where like that uh, uh, the toll of all that that she'd otherwise been repressing would violently come out in mm-hmm. for a brief period of time um again it all it strikes me as all plausible i'm not saying that it was necessarily like uh set up in the best way but but i think that the fact that it is shocking is what for me helps kind of make it work uh, and we, I think it's shocking initially, and then we see more of her narrative, if I'm getting the order correctly here, and then we think, like, at least I thought, like, okay, given this more information, it seems like more of a, a sensible thing that this happened, yeah, more yeah. of a, and like, yeah, I think that, again, the, the sudden, out of nowhere nature of it um, really adds to the, like, uh, effectiveness of that scene um and so and so that's what i would say about that mm. um the second girl my i believe was like i mean i can't argue with you that it's like fucked up that she would do that i just feel really sorry for her i mean i just fund at bottom i just feel really well, awful for her so. If I may, if I may respond to just some of your points, there, like, I'll just clarify what my issue is with the scene with Misaki is not that she lashed out, but rather just the extreme violence of it. Um, if she had done something else to Yosuke, uh, I'd have been more cool with that. <laughs> I know that makes me sound terrible saying that out loud, but you you get my point. <laughs> like slamming his head repeatedly into the arcade cabinet so it breaks is a bit too much. It's the specific acts, not the lashing out itself that I have an issue with. Mm. I think that okay. ghost goes too far. But I do appreciate its intent because for one thing, we can see that maybe from by implication from that act that she has similarly also done so with her children, even though she does love them, and maybe that's like strained their relationship. Because abuse unfortunately is cyclic. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise yes. me, you know, if that happened. I mean I'll attest that with my own parents, but oh, my, my mother specifically. And this is where mm. my own personal experience bleeds into but this, funnily enough. Um, but anyway, so there's that. And then also, of course, what we see here is, in theory, two people who should have every reason to connect with each other in that she wants a better relationship with her children and he wants a better relationship with her mother. And yet we see the worst possible outcome 
it, I'll say, like, and the fact that Yosuke doesn't resist, I think, in some way, is actually really chilling because he seems to want to die all over again. If that's even possible in this, like, dimension, universe, or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. so all of that stuff works, but just the actual act itself goes too far. It's like having a bloodless PG-12 film, for example, and then suddenly next thing you know, someone likes gets fucking, like, their head split in half. Like, mm. I'm, maybe maybe the degree to that of that comparison is too much, but what I'm, uh, the intent is more, you have a set tone for, like, the conflict here, and you have a set tone for, like, how, like, violent it can be, and then you suddenly go to that point, like, that just goes, the act itself is too mm. extreme. But the intent behind yeah. it, I get entirely. And there was violence before, like, you know, people bleeding from the mouth and... That know, was from the darts, though. Shot from... Yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, it's not a PG show. Like, there's... No, there's no, no, blood no. blood and some, you know, implied kind of stabbing and things like that. But, like, no, it definitely ratchets up the level. I just think, like... Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're just talking about violence, sure. I think the the subject matter and everything in the show, it's like, hey, this is, like, heavy shit for people who want to indulge in a show about heavy shit so i don't know, like it it did not bother me but like hey i mean it's it's a really violent scene so yeah if, mm-hmm. if it was uh if it bothered people you know sure i get it who am i the, who am i to argue uh the other thing as well uh let's talk about my for a moment this is the point where i actually now say they gave too much information funnily enough for, despite okay. the otherwise the bridged nature that we get of all of the various you know uh, individuals, because that's by virtue mm-hmm. of the runtime and the format. But what I originally thought was going to happen, like my thought processes, processes was happening, was when they say uh, to her male friend whose name I forgot, Mr. Bowling Guy, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, Mr. Turkey, Mr. Strikeout, whatever you all call him, <laughs> um, like you know, when they say to him, like, oh, she is a, uh, you know, she's done things, that sort of stuff. Um, my reaction to that was, we're never going to find out what that is. And I'm okay with it because then the message is uh, whatever these rumors are, wherever this has been done, like he's inviting himself to judge on that. And he was going to ask her about it and then come to his own conclusion. Um, but then we get the whole plastic surgery thing. And I'm like, well, we've got a concrete answer now as to what she has done. Um, and it's fucked up. <laughs> I don't like it. It would have been better if we never found out all because that ambiguity would have then served the story. It would have served the fact that, hey, uh, you know, I met this person again and, hey, uh, people say things about her. They may or may not be true, but I'm going to find out. I'm not going to just let that be, you know, the thing that I judge her on. And that in turn would then tie into the whole Decim judging people thing that's going on here. But that's where they give too much detail. And I think like, like even if they'd done something less creepy than the fact that she got plastic surgery to look like someone else uh, to try and hook up with this dude, uh... I still think that gives too much info. So, yeah. Uh, it is a shame, though. I, I hope that the female characters do, as I say, become more diverse in what is ultimately uh, covered. Um, but we'll see soon enough. And since Doc has just taken a moment to nip away, presumably he's gone to, you know, fight off a mountain lion that's just wandered onto, you know, his his workplace terrace. I'm going to nip away very briefly as well. I hope I can be back before him. You can time it there at home, folks. Uh, I'm going to get myself a drink. Back in a second. 
Oshadon has also left. I was not aware of this. Damn it, I was hoping Ooh. to be back before you returned. <laughs> Man, I, I would have... Uh, I Sorry, I should have... Uh, I should have just thrown us to a break. It's fine. Oh, I have I have returned with here. Elvis juice made from Elvis real Elvis. <laughs> Delicious. Mm. Tastes like the 1950s all over again. Mm. Blue suede <laughs> shoe flavored. Like cigarettes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Really uh, bad cigarettes of that. Okay, we have two more patron it, questions to go. Is it the juice of like skinny movie star Elvis or is it the juice of like chubby the king Elvis well it doesn't taste it doesn't taste like nasty beef burger so I'm assuming it's the former okay yeah that's what I would prefer yeah that, that I hope <laughs> so too all right so next patron questions thank you very much by the way Riku for those um lots to say this is the thing like they, they were covering a lot of talking points by going through these anyway but that's great because uh, there's always a lot to discuss um so next two uh these come from Johnny Rackham in the Death Billiards pilot, Decim chooses not to tell which person went where, allowing the viewers to try and think for themselves. However, during the actual series, they make clear which destinations the two masks represent. As an anime original, do you think the author already had that in mind when Death Billiards was made, allowing us to go back and find the answer? Or do you feel this info was added later specifically for the series? Okay, so I'll answer right off the bat and say I think they added this in. Partly, again, because this ties into the whole flawed system thing. If we don't know what the outcomes of the judgments are, we can't then in turn make an opinion ourselves on the flaws of the system. You can't say a system is flawed now if you have no idea what the outcome is. But I would also then argue in turn that there are times when I... I mean, I didn't even clock, for example, and this is just perhaps my poor attention span, that the couple in episode three, my and... Uh, Mr. Turkey or whatever his name is, they actually both get reincarnated. That's something I noticed on the mm-hmm. Wikipedia episode summary. Um, and I like that, by the way, because it suggests, for one, that the system is flexible. It's not a duality thing where, you know, one person one, wins. One. one must stay and one must go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, I think, like, the white mask, uh, like, smiling is, yeah. like, and kind of, like, squinting is the you get reincarnated and the sort of is it red maybe or brown like this sort of la- oh, like laughing demon looking face is like you're voided um which means i think that misaki was voided which i feel a little conflicted about <laughs> yeah but yeah um so i think that that's an, uh, an adjustment they made uh for the show to accommodate this theme it makes sense as a self-contained pile episode if you are calling that for death billiards because the the premise in Death Billiards was more you play a game to decide if you get reincarnated or not, and ultimately the outcome is not relevant. But then in a longer series, of course, we have to start considering the impacts of that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say that I think this was added specifically so it could facilitate the discussion that we're having over the idea of the system being flawed or not, because we need to know the outcomes in order to determine that, much as you need to know who win, you know, who scores what in a game to determine the winner. I agree. Yeah, I nothing more to add except I think that that's that seems sensible to me. Cool. All right. Uh, next question from Johnny Rackham then is: If you arrived at Decim's bar, what game would you most dread having to play, and how might the bar's twists on these games make it even worse? Ooh. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, 
I'm going to say we're only shown three games so far, right? I wish yeah. we knew what all nine of the games were. But what I'm, we got? I'm, we got darts, bowling, and uh, pool. Oh, the pool, arcade, pool. the the fighting game. Oh, and billiards. Yeah, right. We can count I, billiards. I, yeah. I think for the sake of answering this question, we'll have to limit the scope of the games to pub, club, bar, games, etc. Oh, um, you don't want to go. You don't want to just pick from the four that they that they give us. Uh, I, I mean, we could very well have like all sorts of pub club games come up. Uh, I'm going to say foosball. Okay, okay, that's the one I, you le- least like to play. But and that's because of the twists on mm. it. I think for one, I'm not very good at it. Uh, for two, I get the feeling that like you know, if the ball like went down there, like you'd have it like feel like it was going down your gullet, like you know when you, when they score and it would be really gross. Because part of the show's uh, concepts, of course, is when you play these games, there's a body horror element. Like on the darts thing, like they have like the various body parts of each of them. Mm-hmm. And if you land a hit on there, that's like you're actually literally hit by a dart. Ugh. So <laughs> the bullseye, of course, being the heart, that happens at one point in that episode. It's like, oh, my angina. Ah! I'm, I'm not doing it justice, to be fair, but you get my point. Um, and the fact so, that yeah. poor, Machiko, poor Machiko is hitting the belly when... It's like she's, oh, you know, only like she hasn't quite realized she's dead, so she thinks I still have a baby in there. Like, oh, it's like does that does that by the way? Can I, just, can I just ask a philosophical question of you? Are here? Does that mean that by implication, the show asserts that life begins at birth and not conception? Given there's not three of them there, or like there's no discussion from Decim that it's like a trip a trio. <sighs> This, this yeah, is also, it, seem, it seems to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ultimately doesn't matter for the show itself, but I just thought that was curious that, like, no one mentions the baby, really. Uh, when I say that, I mean in terms of, like, what it means now that, like... Sure, all that. the, the like, soul. There's no... There is no yeah. third soul, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Although I will be coming back to the uh, the concepts of the baby and what it means for their relationship in a bit. Uh, but yeah, anyway... All right, uh, so uh, what's your game then, Doc? Like, what game do you want to avoid? Well, I'll tell you what game I would want to play is the bowling. I think mm. I'm a pretty good. I think I'm a pretty decent bowler. Like, I, I'd, I would I have enjoy any bowling. I would have anyone at billiards. I would. I'm. I can play billiards pretty decently. I suck at that. I can't decide if I would suck at billiards or darts worse. I'm pretty bad oh, at both. Darts, I'm dreadful at. I might want to avoid dark. I mean, like, and the whole idea of like the stabbing business, just oh no no. no. I I, I take back town. foosball, uh, mm-hmm. fruit machine, you know, gambling <laughs> machine, you know, because that's completely random, and you'll have like you'll have it like just cheat you out of winning, and then like that's your unfairness right there because Destin does speak of that at one point, uh-huh. uh, and you know you'll end up like it'll be all the body parts on the reels, won't it? So you get what you think is like the equivalent of the 777 for the jackpot or wherever it is. And in reality, it's like your kidney, kidney, kidney. You're like, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Or all the, all the things start spilling kidneys out and you're just grossed out or something. Oh. Like you can do some fucked up shit with a fruit yeah. machine. I mean, you know, that's that has to come up. I feel like there must be a fruit machine. In, who, in who, who, who's ready for roulette where you're throwing like your eyeballs on there or something? <laughs> It can't like well. It can't. The thing is, like, I feel like it can't become death casino. Like, it can't be like this is just kaiji in the afterworld. They have uh, to like ding, steer ding, ding, away ding. from like poker or or uh, like the uh, craps or the dumb wheel. It's uh, funny that you mention you kaiji because I will be coming back to kaiji later. 
Um, and Kakiguri as well, actually, which I've just found out on Ooh. the news has been licensed, actually, for home release. Isn't that nice? Finally! Who, who's picking it up? Uh, where did Sentai? I see this? I think it might be Sensai. Yeah. Yep, licensed by Sensai. Nice. They, I like they, that show quite a bit in all of I, its uh, forms. I have watched the first season and I, I'll be coming back to that later. Uh, but anyway, <coughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Fruit Machine will fuck you up real bad. Yes. Yes. It'll do, yeah, it'll do I, the shit that <laughs> Fruit Machines do where you land, like you get on the feature trail and there's always the question marks and you're like, I don't want to land a question mark, but you then land on it and it gives you the random selection. There's always the game, there's like the game over thing. You're like, I'm not going to get the game over. And you hit the button and it always gives you the fucking game over because those machines are rigged as fuck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think I made my over. choice. I would, I think I could get lucky enough in darts, but I would not want to play billiards because skill is involved and I'm just fucking terrible at pool. <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> so. Uh, Right. Um, well, if I'm not mistaken, then that brings us to the end of our Patreon questions. So yeah. thank you, Mr. Navy, Riku, and Johnny Rackham for your questions there. A uh, lot of good discussion, a lot of fun discussion as well, which is worthwhile. Uh, so um, now I suppose it's the time to move on to talking points. I do have a couple to make. Um, do you have any uh, to make as well, Doc? Do you have a couple of extra things to say? Uh, I have one that is broader in scope. Uh, are yours very specific? I have some specific ones. I suppose I can just get one of those real quick out of the way. Okay. Um, so let me talk about the thing I really liked about Misaki as a character, which is she arrives in the bar and assumes she's immediately in a TV show, uh, which, I mean, can dead camera, we can call it. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and what I like about that is the fact she immediately goes into that line of thinking because it tells us so much about her character and how much she lives a life of performance, of performing, obviously, for camera, but also, like, presenting to other people. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. been abused like she has, you've got to obviously hide that. Like, it's a deeply informative moment that, while providing comedy, also works to inform us about the character, and it really, with hindsight at the end of the episode, like, fleshes her out really well as an opening statement. Because otherwise, like, uh, Yosuke is right, like, we don't remember anything, like, what kind of whack-out, like, fucked-up TV show would, like, dump us somewhere with no memory? Like, that's a that's a bit fucked-up, isn't it? But she's like, no, 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 it's just the cameras. Don't worry, son. Don't worry, honey. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Operating off instinct, like, initially. You know, when they are not yeah. even thinking about their lack of memory. She's yeah. like, well, we're clearly on some kind of stunt show, so let's strategize here, which is, yeah. is very good. Yeah, the time that she needs to be the most real is the time that she's actually the least, unfortunately, right. at least in that in that initial moment. So that was a nice little detail that I really liked. Say, so gay comedy, but you get your character building all in one. It's a, it's a twofer. It's pretty good. Yeah. Very cool. Well, is right. you, do you have another specific one? Uh, I have a few more. Um, okay. So let's also just talk about the scene between uh, Takashi and Machiko when they're having their massive fucking back and forth row reconciliation tango uh because it mm-hmm. seems to like like the fucking sine wave of we're cool to we're not in mm-hmm. that is intense it's great and and but there's a lot we learn in those moments that really shows like how this is a house built on sand like there's mm-hmm. a moment when he's hugging her he says finally i'm gonna be a father but like 
speaking for myself as a childless heathen, um, the thing that I found like deeply problematic about that is he's saying like, I'm going to be a dad, but not a family. There's a distinction in my mind there. He does. He makes no it cons- so much about him. Yeah, you there's no I mean? concern like, for I her. I was trying to do this. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna be. Exactly. I'm gonna be a dad. And there's something really poisonous about that. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I built agree. on sand. The other thing as well, and this is again, we should stress to go back to Death Billions. This came about as the uh, you know future anime projects, like you know br- bringing new animators in, and they certainly show their chops in many scenes in this, particularly the ones where they're playing like. Uh, you know, darts, for example, all like the fluid motions, like the wind-ups mm-hmm. to the bowls, all that stuff. There's some great cuts in here, some great sack again. Yeah. But we see a moment where he starts raging at her and he's weeping and he looks like the ugliest. Like, he looks like, yeah, basically that, that like, for those of you listening on audio, <laughs> Doc basically uh, went full Salvador Dali on his own face, was like melting <laughs> clock. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, that is uh, Takashi, <laughs> Uh, looked super fucking ugly in the moment. But when I say yeah. ugly, I'm not talking in the sense of just physical, but as an ugly human being. It's like the the inside was displayed on the outside mm-hmm. for once. And just it was Machiko, all out there. Machiko has a line at that point where she says, um, why would anyone want to marry you? And that is the immediate line that follows her looking at him looking like that and it again the house on sand but it's such a damning like she sees him for who he is his like grotesque appearance through this exaggerated animation again kudos to where animation does what live action necessarily can't can't mm-hmm. sometimes do like his physical his animated grotesquery is the inner self exposed to the world something she now sees in full for the first time it's a great moment and it really goes to show, like, the animators, they can do, like, all the great Sacco cuts of bowling and darts all they want, but they know, even if it is a little obvious, perhaps, how to make character designs work in favor of the story and the character revelations and the drama. Mm-hmm. It is the good shit. Yeah. Yeah, and that scene... God, everything that happens. And then, if you haven't caught on to everything that's going on in Misaki's... Not Misaki... Machiko, it within her in episode one, episode two gives it all to you. You see that, like, I mean, talk about duplicity, right? Talk about like putting on a performance and an act. Like, she sees how her husband, like, is so like hurt and you know, it feels so cheated uh, with like what's happened and is so mistrustful. And, like, to give him something, some kind of purpose or something to latch on to, some kind of, like, (laughs) just small comfort that he was in the right, she plays the role that he accuses her of. She's like, even though she doesn't feel this way, she, like musters up her courage and she turns on him and is like that's right i love someone else this is their baby who would ever want you well and well it's like how much must it be hurting her to say that these things that she just deeply does not believe and that are ah, not true there's 
there's a double meaning to those lines as well because when she says she loves someone else, she loved him as she mm-hmm. knew him before this moment. I was thinking that too. I was yeah, that which too, is great. Right? It's great. Yeah, yeah. I loved like the person I thought you were. Um, but yeah, I mean, and just really putting it on the line to comfort him, not thinking about herself at all. And so, in my opinion, she's one of the best, if not the best, people in the show, and she is damned you know her immortal soul is vaporized and it's like god damn it <laughs> fuck you uh Desum. you, you dumbass yeah, he, yeah he, he uh <laughs> he really screwed the pooch on that one yeah nona knows it too that's, like, gonna, that's, that's, it gonna right. his, that's gonna be on his performance review docking your pay mm-hmm. okay yeah. uh, so that's that point done um what else can i talk about the specific rather than broad um well, let me talk, I suppose, about Yosuke for a moment. Um, there is an image uh, of him sat in front of a TV screen playing a video game. And it has, it's all fuzzy and black and the words game over inscribed in blood red uh, with his face obscured. But that's what the words are, basically. It's the Dark Souls font, let's be honest. <laughs> Is it? Uh, I didn't catch that. It, 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 well, it, it looks like it. It's a similar kind of intent. I mean... You died. Um, well, oops. Um, but I have to say that image was profoundly affecting because it's the game over is not just, of course, the game itself, but it's how he feels about his life and is indeed in the moments before he takes his own life. And it feels representative to me. Like, I mean, the fact that it's not focused on, like, his face, like, it could be Mm -hmm. anyone sat there. It is the state in which far too many fucking people have been in their lives. Uh, it is a really, really powerful moment, that, in my opinion, because it feels representative. Uh, and it feels like... I mean, the whole scene is like muted colours, but then the game over again is inscribed in blood red on a fuzzy screen. Um, and I'd also argue that, in some way, the non-specificity of Yosuke's, like, we know that he has a stepmom and he doesn't really get along with her, and, like, he was bullied and all that, uh, but we don't get much more than that. I actually think the non-specificity here can work, because I need to talk, I suppose, for a moment, content warning again, about this particular moment's efficacy as not a didactic PSA, you know, don't take your own life kind of thing, but more how people can resonate with it. Um... And the thing is, like, speaking for myself here as someone who has had suicidal ideation in the past, I don't think, and this is, the, I mean, I don't have that anymore, so I can't, I can't speak as I could back in the past. I don't think the show's message of, well, with the benefit of hindsight, because this character literally has hindsight now, um, he regrets his choice, um, might ring with people in the same scenario, because for one, it inherently doesn't happen. Uh, if it does, no one's come back to tell us about it, so how can you be sure? Um, and two, um, it's... The the thing about hindsight is it's not necessarily an argument uh, all the time about, you know, like, some people are just generally, like, mentally unwell. Um, like, maybe reconcile with his mother might help, but it, uh, it's his stepmom, that is, but it might not necessarily help my way. Like, so... I don't think that I can I can say that that moment works well in like connecting necessarily people who have suicidation 
because of those things. Uh, it feels to me like the idea of hindsight, like, you know, you'll regret it, uh, doesn't mm. ring true. But I mm. also must stress that this show is not, for, well, for one, it's not all about Yosuke. I know it sounds awful for me to say, but it is true by virtue of him being a one-shot character in that episode. Um, <clears throat> but two, it's not principally about suicide. Um, this is just one thing that fats into it. And I'm glad it addressed that. Don't get me wrong. So I'm not going to criticize it for this. I'm just going to point out that if you feel unsatisfied by its examination of suicide, it doesn't intend to go that deeply into it. Um, maybe it should. I'll invite people to work their own judgment on it. And similarly, as someone who's past that point now, thankfully, where I felt like he did, um, not least of which also because, like him, I have a strained relationship with my actual biological mother. Um, so, again, there's that overlap. But I can't deny it. Like, I've felt profoundly emotionally affected before by shows I've watched about suicide, like Orange, for example, that we've talked about in the past. This didn't connect with me. Just because I'm not feeling that way anymore doesn't mean I don't relate to, like, my past experiences. But it didn't affect me in that way like the, the scene i mentioned with that's like game over thing that was like powerful but it that was probably the best best you know narratively speaking sure, sure, uh, sure, sure. part the best part of that of his whole arc so again not criticizing the show on this but i'm just saying that i think that there are stories that tackle the subject better and that is admittedly through virtue of their longer runtime and greater focus there but i'm still happy that it at least brought it up uh and they had that specific moment in there which was just so emblematic of so many people's experience particularly people in japan again i mentioned hikigomori specifically as that term next that was that's what it felt like he was getting to mm-hmm. might necessarily be strictly speaking true maybe he's just a neat uh like we could quibble about that but like the yeah. It's in, he's in the wheelhouse, the yeah, area. Yeah, it implied that he's socially isolated, for mm-hmm. sure. I was really happy that um, that the show did not like portray suicide as a sin or like an unforgivable action. You know, he ended up being reincarnated in the end. And I mean, it's just one of many things i find deeply galling and and anger inducing about you know catholic dogma is the insistence that suicide is an unforgivable sin and you're mm-hmm. damned if you commit suicide because that just puts so much blame on the victim and yeah. like i have a really personal experience with us that i don't want to talk about but like I think that I just find so hurtful. Um, And I'm just really happy that you have very like, like explicitly the show is about religion and the afterlife praise and blame. And someone who took their own life is shown in a very sympathetic light. Well, they're not like condemned for doing that. It's not even just that, but if I recall correctly, Desim also actually gives both of them like a big group hug at the end and says, you both did very well. And even though even though Misaki goes to hell. Like, yeah, you that's did a also good job. What, get in the get in yeah. the battle later. Well, I mean, it probably it, I mean, we can probably blame that on her, like, you know, smashing his head into the cabinet more than anything, but I, I also really like that line, by the way, fully because I think that as much as I hate to say it, 
the world is unfair and people do die before their time for a myriad of reasons. That that happens. Um, but I like that line from Destin because again, if we take like that invested, like you know, uh, that vested, like you know, higher order thing, where flawed though he may be, like he's operating on a different level from us because he's like angelic or whatever you call it, whatever form he may take. Um, those words from him also in turn like carry uh, a lot of weight, uh, particularly also because that's uh, funny enough a little bit of Carrie's growth from him because he's recognized the value of their experiences, the trials and the traumas they've been through, and like can say. You you know, it's not your fault. You you were dealt a bad hand. You know, you you tried your best, and <laughs> and, it's, and it's, yet, <laughs> uh, and yet yes, but that's Fuck you. you know, <laughs> like it's like it just. Oh, I really disliked this outcome for her. like you know, oh, especially I, I, after I, that scene. You know what I mean? Especially after the scene you're talking about was was such a cool and good scene and then... yeah i i do agree with that but yeah all right <laughs> um do i have any do i have anything else to talk about uh let me have a look at my notes um i have i can talk more... about my broad broad point if you want yeah do it do it i've talked for long enough um well this probably won't i don't i don't know this might not take long but um you know you and rackham how did you describe the show? What was your, this is the show in a nutshell? Messy. Um, mm-hmm. Messy was definitely one of the words. Leo uh, Messi. I should. Messi, messy, and, messy and imperfect. Paris Saint-Germain. Um, yeah. Um, da, 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 da. A show full of messy and perfect people. And you said it was a messy show. Um, full of messy and perfect people. Uh, I ultimately i think came away from this feeling a little bit like i wish it was messier Mm. um there's still something despite you know all the kind of humanity on display that we've talked about there's still ultimately something i felt like something about it that made it come off as a little bit cold to me maybe it's the fact that there's a structure imposed on everything and there's this rigid rule-based kind of thinking uh, applied to their human lives. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I don't know. Um, it has its formula and it, it goes, it goes with that for, for now anyway. And like, yeah, I, I suppose I just, I don't know. It's I, 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 when you described it as a messy show, I thought like, yeah, I would like a messy show. <laughs> I, I would actually really like well, more kind of a messy show, but maybe maybe it will become messier as as we go. I should probably clarify when I say messy. <clears throat> I'm referring back to stuff like the way the women are portrayed in that it, it's blind spots, I think, on some of the stuff that happens in it. That's the messiness I'm referring to. Yeah, um, right. As, as, as opposed to a more, like, here's some more fucks up shit from characters who've like, got much more like diverse and like complicated histories shall we say uh i'm referring more to like hey maybe we shouldn't have all of the women be portrayed the way they do because it seems like yeah i that's yeah the i know i yeah we're operating on a, a different meaning I'm, I'm like equivocating here but like uh i just think mean it made me think like man i wish i i want so badly to for the show to break out of its it's a uh, straitjacket and formula and, and uh, I don't know, 
for it to be even more messy and more human. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, again, I just, I came away from it just, yeah, just feeling, feeling still a, a little cold. Well, that could happen inside with Chuki because by virtue of her being there, she, uh, like we see in episode two, she just kind of woke up. Where did she come from? Is she hmm. a human who died and has somehow been accepted from this regime uh but like selected to replace because there's mention of course there was a previous one that she's on a free month term like yeah. there is i have a theory like, i have theories about this but yes. oh boy oh boy but i mean that's one of the things that death parade is also doing like beyond having the individual character episodes um it is also uh covering uh the central mystery of who like destin is where does his system come from and as i say that's why i don't want his end in yogg because that would be lame i want it to end like with an higher authority that believes it's doing the right thing but ultimately is not where it is seeking order instead of justice like you know or doesn't understand the meaning of justice or equitable judgment you name it basically yeah but um i do hear you on that and i think that there could be latitude for more uh, complicated stories to come out um with more difficult backgrounds like where there's you know more like complexities like shades of gray in there because again that's the thing that Chuki like points out that like Desin makes his judgment based on a more black and white view of their situation mm-hmm. uh, and of course the show then argues that he's wrong and by virtue of that argument we must have more complexity in order to judge that so yeah yeah and and it's just like you know and, and I, I know it's the construct right of of the show it's just like I think frustrating on a like a deep level to that at the end of the show, you know, left or right, good or bad, binary choice given like even the limited amount of context that we are shown. There's there's something that just doesn't sit well with me about that. So yeah, okay. Um, but, but again, um, I think I think that's the point. It may be so. Yeah, reserve judgment. Uh, go ahead. I have three more points to make and then we're done. And I'll try and get through these as relatively quickly as I can. Um, the very first one I want to talk about is the transition from Deaf Billiards to the very first episode and the changes that happened in the storytelling that makes it suitable for both a new audience but also for old. So the story of Deaf Billiards, like we, it's the same thing we've said before, but it's just two random people who died simultaneously, a younger guy and an older dude. And so there's the question in Death Billiards of like, hey, I've lived my whole life, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter if I win or lose. Like, I'm not going to go into the detail on that because that's not important right now. Beyond the fact that these are just two random people who die at the same time who otherwise would never have known each other. But episode one is a definitive escalation from Death Billiards because it is a married couple who died literally in the same location because they died for a car crash when they were arguing about the honeymoon. And that is um, a great way to start the series for people who've seen Death Billiards because they're already familiar with the concepts, but the stakes, like the emotional stakes, are much higher because it involves people who are, like, you know, because marriage and all that. So I think that's a great decision from the story, uh, from from the writers um, to start off with there, that they decide, okay, for our brand new episode for people who've seen the original uh, one-off, there is that escalated stake. But episode one still covers all the necessary ground you need on the rule setting, which works for people who are brand new Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And also, 
they never have a massive restatement of the rules after that fact either. Like, the one time they kind of saw do it in episode 3, Destin is explaining it, and if I recall correctly, Chiyuki's, like, watching from far away. So they just kind of, like, cut it out. Like, they don't have to re-explain every time. It's it's efficient, like, because... Obviously, it's sh- like it's shorter, and yeah. she she just like does the numbers. Yeah. She's like first, second, third, and like yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's one of those unfortunate things when you have a, a system like this where characters are constantly being introduced or unfamiliar to it. You have to re-explain it, but you don't have to re-explain it to the audience. Again, I'm talking about two audiences here, of course, mm-hmm. in universe, in text, and actual audience. So how do you accommodate both? Like where you see the point being across to them without also re-explaining to us over and over again, boring us half to death. And the show's doing that really well. So they're in, they've are in; they got a grasp on the fundamentals here, like the, the solid core behind that stuff. But I just appreciate also how they just moved on from Death Billiards to episode one and really made it like both appealing to people who've seen Death Billiards, but also those who haven't. Because mm-hmm. it would have been all too easy for have a similar situation where it's just two random people, old and young, who die. And they'd be like, but you could change the context through the art, change the game, but the stakes, the emotional stakes would then be similar. But no, the show opens with a higher tempo than that. And I think that really works in its favour to keep it fresh. Um, I'd also just like to mention as well that Death Billiards now fully enough occupies a strange position where in theory it's just a standalone episode of the show that could be slotted in, at least as I understand it, pretty much anywhere. Maybe not after the yeah. final episode of the show, depending on how you look at it. Right. But you, you could totally, for example, slot Death Billiards pretend it's episode three before the actual episode three and move the other Mm. numbers along. And I would not notice. It just works. It's a self-contained story and it fits in well there. So yeah, kudos to the creators for putting in the thought on how they're going to start the first episode for both people who are familiar with Death Billiards and those who are not. Good shit. I like that. Okay. Just refreshing the tank. So, uh... (laughs) Let's talk about fighting games. Now, this again might be re-reading too much into it and also my own history as a fighting game player, but I actually really enjoyed the inclusion of the arcade game in episode four for a couple of reasons. Um, The first of which is, um, I know I mentioned before about the overly violent thing that Misaki does, but again, you've got the obvious contrast that Yosuke is beating her in a fighting game, but in actual real life fighting there is no comparison you know there is you know like he has no chance against it whether whether he's deliberately resisting or not um so there's that contrast of games are not real life which ties back to what happened with yosuke where the game over thing came up but that wasn't literally came over his life he just lost the game there and then not the end of the world but also let's talk about fighting games in specific as well um Fighting games are inherently unfair. And you might say, how is that true? How is that true, Shads? Because you're playing a skill-based game. But the thing is, going into what I know about fighting games, uh, not all characters in fighting games are made equally. If you're a Guilty Gear Strive player, for example, right now, you'll be very unhappy if you have to fight Saul Bad Guy because he's the best character in the game by a country mile. The game is not inherently fair. Um, So... That all ties back into the whole, you know, Decim saying things aren't fair. Um, and it ties into how, like, these representations of them as characters show, oh, you know what? Like, it kind of is true for us too. Like, you know, we're not born 
are created equally. Our life circumstances don't make us equivalent. We are going to be very different people as a result. So really nice tie in there. Uh, I mean, just look up the idea of tier lists if you ever want to see like how whack it can get. Um, but also, then there is the idea of moves. So obviously, both Misaki and Yosuke's characters, which are representations themselves, have special moves. They have super moves, which are based on like you know the kids for Misaki and his stepmom for yes. uh, Yosuke, um, and that's good in itself. But I also just want to talk about the idea behind uh, the moves that they have, which are of course related to their lives, and mm-hmm. in a fighting game. Your path to victory lies in optimal and efficient use of your tools at hand. And that applies here, but in a broader sense of these characters and how they live their lives, and that their success plays is about playing to their strengths and, you know, their tools and what they're capable of doing. It works there as well. Granted, that's a bit diluted by the fact that it plays out like an actual fighting game where Misaki, like, loses because she's just not a video gamer. But I still think that something could be said about the fact that it depends on how you use the tools you've got to, you know, come out on top um, that makes that work. So, yeah, I actually think the fighting game, um, much as I could, again, be reading into it too much due to my own knowledge of fighting games, like, I think that it works on multiple levels to examine them as characters uh, and to explain their lots in life. Um, I think it's Mm -hmm. a pretty neat concept. Also, entirely yeah. authentic arcade cabinets as well. I like know. Those look, they, look, they look pretty spot on. Yeah, definitely. I really like mm. that. I love mm. the, like, that this fighting game, you know, kind of embarrassed both of them because it kind of laid bare, like, it. even if they were, like, outsized persons of their, uh, sorry, outsized uh, depictions of their personality, it was still, like, true like to a certain degree um you know very otaku-ish like uh you know like uh uh anime girl statue like figure uppercut like was a special move and like all that kind of stuff and like they had their little stat sheet talking about like the the ability misaki's ability special ability was temptation and Mm. (laughs) things like that were just temptation uh, that was fun. And I don't know if you caught this, but there was a really cool scene after her kids, you know, she did her super move, which summons all of her children for like basically a persona style all out attack. Right. And they all kind of come on the screen and start beating up, um, Yosuke's character and, uh, the little baby is there. And, uh, before the little baby is left on its own, um, the older kids kind of finish beating on Yosuke and they leave. And so she thinks this is it. This is the all out attack is done. And she looks at how much health has been taken off Yosuke. And it's not a lot. And she's like, God damn it. They were weak. It's like revealing something about her that like, you know, she mm-hmm. might kind of put on this face where she, she loves her older kids from previous marriages or whatever. But she really believes about them deep down, like, mm, yeah, they're they're weak. They're not they're they're yeah. not made of strong stuff, of, of strong fiber. Uh yeah. and you know, she it shows who she loves the most, her her newest but, child. You know, but you know what, but if you want if you want to go into uh critiquing that further, well, they are an extension of her character in the game. They don't exist without her, of course. 
And so if they are weak, it's, it's because, because she herself of her is weak. And that's that's how she feels about them, right? That's what she fighting fighting game fighting game as multi layered metaphor. Mm-hmm. This is this this is my it's wheelhouse. Good. I mean, I I'm you know like the Z list anime critic, and also like I play fighting games on the side. This is my shit right here. I got this. I got this on lock. Hey, you call um, yourself Z list. This week we were the top twenty anime podcasts in Sweden. What? <laughs> that's right. I've, I've always. <laughs> I've always said uh, Swedes are good people. They know their shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really enjoy your furniture, especially. Thank you, Sweden. <laughs> no, seriously, those are Ikea bookshelves right back there. And this is the point where they collapse. Oh, <laughs> that would good. be brilliant. <laughs> although that, although that, although admittedly it would be because I wasn't following the instructions. But anyway. Uh, right. Uh, my final point, segueing from fighting games, is to talk about games in general in anime, and also how they're constructed in Death Parade. Oh yeah, and Kaiji this is where, I'm going to bring up. This is where I bring up Kaiji and Kakaguri. So the thing about Kaiji and Kakaguri as shows is that part of their entertainment appeal and part of the tension that they have um, is related to the rules of the game, the plays that are available at any given time. Shadon, what about the smell of the game? Well, it's bullshit blazing, I know that. Uh, <laughs> See, I know. Carry on. You can do, Carry on. Don't, 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 don't try. Don't try me on that. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, we know the game is bullshit in De- Death Prey because one person got sent to the Shadow Realm who shouldn't have been. Oh fuck me. Anyway, right. So no, the thing uh, about it is not the Shadow Realm. They just don't exist anymore. Like, don't depend. I'm sure oof. Yu-Gi-Oh fans might might find there's not much of a difference, but I'll let them discuss that. Anyway, That's anyway, just... it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, so I'm bringing this up though because part of the uh, say the entertainment appeal, part of the tension, part of the drive in those shows is not just the stakes that are happening in the game itself, but also the game theory. Like, hey, I've got this hand. Clearly, mm-hmm. they must have this hand, and so on and so forth. In Kakaguri, for example, the the climactic final showdown. Um, it involves um, tarot cards. And so there's a lot of internal monologuing about how Yumiko can or cannot win at any given time. And it, and without, I won't spoil the outcome, but suffice to say, there is a way out. And then of course, there's also the Russian roulette thing as well that happens in one of the episodes. But a lot of it's focused on the mechanics of those games and how they then can play out from there. Uh, even Kaiji, even something as simple as well, I say simple, um, as walking across like a steel girder atop like a 30-story construction site. Uh, there's discussion about that, like about crosswinds, weight, balance, you name it. Like the shows place a great emphasis on um, the game theory and the mechanics behind them as part of their drama. Death Parade, not so much. And this is not a criticism. I'm just bringing it up as a way of comparing and contrasting. Um because in Death Parade, like the, I think the most it ever gets, really, to be quite honest, is with respect to Death Billiards. Because there's a number of like, just like you know, diagrams of like certain shots that can be taken at certain points, like angles and all that, which mm-hmm. plays into that into the game. But the darts game, uh, for example, they only have seven darts from my memory. And I actually looked this up in advance. In order to play a perfect game of darts from five or one to nothing, you need a minimum of nine darts. 
So the game already is altered in such a way where they won't reach zero no matter what they do. Um, and But it never draws attention to that fact. That's something you know if you know about darts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we have the bowls. And you don't really need to know much about bowling, to be quite honest. Um beyond like scoring and all that like you don't need to know about small splits for well, example they, they don't yeah and it's different they the rules are are not correct <laughs> like the the weird house rules where you only get one yeah. roll per frame you're you're supposed to get two uh two bowls per frame you know if you if you bowl and you only knock over eight you're meant to get an opportunity to pick up a spare yeah. but yeah, they don't you do don't that, that. Mm-hmm. and I only bring some supporting comparison, but I find it interesting that the show does this uh, because, again, I think it's more focused on using these games as metaphor for, or rather, yeah. not metaphor, but as a means for interplay between the characters. And sure. I'm not saying that doesn't happen in Kaiji or Kakaguri. I mean, there's the uh, thing, there's the entire E card battle with Tonegawa that lasts like four episodes in Kaiji season one. It's just the most intense shit ever when he's got like the risk of his fingers being chopped the fuck off. Um, but I, I'm just pointing out by contrast that Death Parade doesn't go into the game theory because mm-hmm. I think in part Kaiji and Kakaguri like games uh, were such an integral part of both their stories. And I'm not saying that it's not like important to Death Parade, but it's a means to an end rather than what it is in Kaiji and Kakaguri. Because in Kaiji, the gambling element of it is a criticism of how it exploits the poor and the disaffected. And in Kakaguri, the gambling thing is uh, how it does also does that, but in turn, how it also protects the privileged and the wealthy. Yeah. And in Death Parade, the most ever really goes with that is just the idea that games can be unfair, arbitrary, and chaotic as life can be, mm-hmm. but it never goes really beyond that. And I'm okay with that. I think it would be distracting and also a bit unrealistic for the characters. Like, you know, I mean, we, we get like, you know, the billiards player, the, the bowling guy, you know, and all that. People who've played these games before, but I'm glad it actually doesn't spend so much time distracting away from the actual human drama there. Like, there's a time and a place for, like, intense game theory in texts, in, in fiction. Uh, I don't think this is it, and I'm glad it omitted it. But that mean doesn't, of course, mean that it's bad where it appears in like Kaiji and Kakari. In both of those shows, it's really damned effective. But yeah, uh, just wanted to note that contrast there and uh, the fact that I think it works here. Um, it's again something that you just apply when appropriate. Uh, I was, you know, you just made me think of a big flaw that I have with the show that there's a scene in the bowling alley and no one says, shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> Criminal. Criminal. I mean,. Um, I mean, the darts thing, like, you know, I'm just going to point out, like, if you think the darts thing goes badly, um, I will just say that, for one, if they really wanted to, like, you know, beat the game because they just both wanted to lose, they could have just thrown the darts to the floor deliberately. Like, Decim seems pretty, like, lax when it comes to the rules of the game, mm-hmm. you know? if it, um, Yeah. And then... So, I think at this point, right, like neither one of them are fully aware of what's going on. Like they still think they're alive and they're playing for their lives. And the husband is shown to be inherently mistrustful and selfish. And so, so he is gonna like, you know, that thought of self-preservation, he's not thinking about her. Remember? Cause he's like, you were pointing out like, 
when he was talking about, oh, woe is me, woe is me. He wasn't talking about his wife, family mm-hmm. together. He's talking about himself. So he's very selfish, very self-centered and myopic and deeply distrustful of, of his wife. And so it does not surprise me at all that like he breaks their arrangement and he's like, Oh, my hand slipped. Oh my God. I accidentally scored. Oh yeah. shit. But the, know, and then, the, then that just starts the whole thing falling down. Go ahead. Yeah. But the note I'll end on is if you think it went badly in the darts game, uh, it went far worse in, of course, that classic moment in Shaun the dead when he ends up with one caught in his head, he just pulls out and goes, but dogs can look up. And that's the note I'm going to end my death parade discussion <laughs> on, a reference to Shaun of the Dead. Ah, oh, good times. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, then. Uh, I think that's it. Shall we move on to racing the episodes? Sure. Sure. Uh, do um, you want to go first or shall yeah, I? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I, um, I like the show a lot, you know, uh, despite some of the things I've said recently in the discussion being negative i still am positive on the whole about the show again i said at the top i I think that it is um you know has some really good character drama vignettes um it is a human show it is an empathetic show uh in many ways and has a really clever and interesting depiction of the afterlife and it's remarkably produced i love the explosion scene in every episode i mean mm-hmm. they're only surprised that's when I they love, know I, like things are weird i love that stock like noise that like you know mm-hmm. from the worrying machinery that was a doom of all things so let's yes. see that's back again <laughs> welcome back uh but you know i think i can't go higher ultimately than um I will say four Japanese fighting game cabinets out of five mm-hmm. um, because, you know, um, as as quality as it is and as neat as the concept is, and it gave us so much to talk about. You know, we, we talked for a long time. Um, again, I just think that the all the other Yuzuru Takahawa, well, I should say both of the Yuzuru, Yuzuru Takahawa shows I've seen, uh, have um tachikawa not takahawa my bad yuzuru tachikawa uh his other shows have more heart and Mm. i'm way more emotionally invested um and they're both serials as opposed to episodic so maybe that has something to do with it um but yeah but it just you know it just means that um you know I i think because of how the show is and you know that again i I came off feeling cold to me a a little bit um my ceiling on it as 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 high as i can get on it right now is a a four Um, yeah the the misogyny is you know i I will reserve judgment for now in terms of like that aspect that aspect of it like really dinging the show for it because we're early on but it, I thought it was a really worthwhile point for you and Riku to bring up and talk about here. Um, it's something that I hadn't thought about very much, but like I'm really glad you pointed it out because it's very much there and should be mm. like uh, highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, before I go on to my point, I'll just also mention that, again, for clarity's sake here, and I hope the people who've listened to our pod for a while now are like, you know, clear on this, but... 
I'm not saying you should never write women doing things like sleeping with someone else or even, like, dare I say, the creepy shit that happens in episode three of her game plan. Like, all of those stories in isolation, on in a vacuum, are fine. It is a question of how you execute them and what your intent is, and particularly also the frequency of them in your work. Because um, if these were discrete stories on their own, I probably wouldn't mind so much. Um, that's my point, basically. There's very little I will consider taboo, out and out, but I question always like how it's implemented and what you do with it. And yeah. it's like I've said before, when it comes to the more serious, like more like uh how to put it, like content warning heavy stuff that you can talk about, like your scope for talking that narrows before you start crossing the line, basically. Um anyway, I'll move yeah, away from such that a, sm- Yeah, such a small I mean massaging is not small, but I guess like in terms of like I don't know this story here like it doesn't seem it's just like a thing to to know it's not like a oh fuck this show or the deal breaker kind of thing you gave it a four out of five i think i think that should be clear like i know i know that sometimes uh you know nuance is lost on people but if they can't understand a four out of five then they shouldn't be listening to this fucking podcast to begin with (laughs) (laughs) like for all that we say the scores are arbitrary like you know they at least you've got your digestible figure there you know, it should. It, we feel it should be backed by what we said, and I suppose I should now put my money where my mouth is, and I'm actually going to agree with you pretty much wholeheartedly. Um, I am going to give this uh, give this show four out of five uh, sweet ass looking cocktails out of five. And <laughs> um, one thing I did not mention because it's not really deserving of a full talking point, but I'll address here. I love how the show looks. I love its color palette. A uh, lot mm. of purples, a lot of like it's. It's neon without being neon, like, you know, it's it's like, if that makes any sense, like, it's gothic without being too dark, but it also isn't too bright, like, the mm-hmm. colour palette really works for it and gives it its own sense of style, and I think that's what I can definitely say about the show, like, it sticks out on that alone. Um, I think that it's overall very positive about the characters in there, like, and it has, like, the nuance to say, like, you know, we're not just simply going to shun them on into the elevator, like, these people's lives had meaning. Uh, I particularly like the touch with, like, you know, the ending credits to episode three, for example, where they went on the various dates. Like, I like that. I like the the idea of, like, one last big hurrah for these characters, and it's how you spend it that's important. It is, however, as I say, a messy, imperfect execution of the concepts. Um, I do agree with you that I'm going to reserve overall judgment on the women characters till the end, but in these particular episodes, I still think I would have liked a little more context here and there to give more shades of grey to what they to them specifically and to the men to be fair but I also again have to note that time is a limiting factor on all of this um, I will also add that one of the other small like slightly disappointing things and the reason I've not brought up is ironically the reason it's a problem is for all that we've talked about like you know who Decim is who Chiyuki is like you know even though I spoiled a name all that like who, why is the bar and all that the show doesn't seem to emphasise the mystery element of that enough for my taste um it's there, you can think about it, but it's not paid much actual, like, time. It's not spent much currency on it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is actually a problem for the show because the one-off characters are literally that, so the show has to have a through line to keep you coming back week on, week beyond just who the ex is coming through the bar. Like, it needs to have, I think, an ongoing thing to help with that. And that is there, but it just feels a bit boneless at the moment. You know, I wonder... If people like Anime is Lit could, if they ever did an episode on this, like elucidate 
any like mythological connections, you know, that are going on that might, uh, I don't know, give us more to latch onto about this sort of thing. Like when Nona, like, you know, goes down an elevator into this like foresty, like oasis kind of place and goes into a small little house. Like what is going on there? Like I'm, Either this is just something made up and, you know, totally arbitrary, or it's a reference to something. Like, what is, you know, who are these meant to, like, these people meant to to be, or who are they in folklore, mythology, religion that we don't know? I mean, like... I lack all of that information and context. I, so I I agree with you, but one can also argue that while like you know having that knowledge should enhance your understanding, but not be the prelude to it being there. Mm-hmm. You, like you know, we should have at least yeah. some idea at this point. Um, but anyway, we are only four episodes in. Of course, we have many more to go, mm-hmm. uh, and I am excited for what comes next with the show. Like it's it's still all in all a good time, even if it is about awful shopping. Like, it's emotionally resonant, it still has its fun moments, it's a worthwhile watch, uh, and its flaws are those of execution rather than ill intent, which I'll take any day, to be honest, as opposed to the alternative. You're here. Yeah. Here, here. All right. Uh, well, I guess I guess that's it. I guess we've done it. It's time to sign off Desho the Third, because we have, uh, we're at the end of the Death Parade. For episodes mm-hmm. one through four. Um, Shadon, thanks for hanging out and discussing Always. things as usual. If people want to chat with you about the show or other things more, how would they do that? Uh, you can start by buying me a drink. Then you then I'll talk for hours. Give me an Elvis juice. Distilled from the finest Elvises. Uh, <laughs> well, you can, you can, of course, find me at Shade and Tencent. You can also, if you're one of our patrons, talk to me in the Discord. That all works. You know how this goes. You know how social media works. You're on the internet. You're listening to, you know, me talk about anime. You surely should have some clue how this all goes down. And if you're not on social media, keep it that way. Not because I don't like you, because you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, that endorse that so very much. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me, I can be found at the subtle doctor on Twitter. Um, and of course, if you want to keep up with the show, you can subscribe to our Twitter at Watery Death Show. Um, you can subscribe to us in many, many places: uh, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you subscribe to us, whether it's YouTube or a podcast player. Um, be kind enough to please leave us a review, to subscribe, follow us, to to give us a thumbs up you know, a comment perhaps, like any kind of engagement, you know, that helps us with our discoverability, which means like more people can uh, be a part of what we're doing, which uh, benefits uh, not just us, but like you guys as well, because we have a quite a fun Discord community uh, that you could be a part of uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon, which uh, is totally voluntary if you do not want to. Uh, no harm, no foul. But if you do support us that way, um, you can, and patreon.com slash uh you can, you know, have all kinds of benefits uh, conferred upon you, like exclusive content and Discord access, Discord roles. Uh, 
movie nights, game nights, uh, all sorts of fun things that you could go to that page and see what they are. And Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. So with all that said, that's it for Death Parade. We will be back for now. now. We will be back next week to revisit uh, Sunny Boy and talk about uh, the the most current goings on with uh, with that delightful mystery uh, weirdness. Shit's gonna get crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So until then, he should on. I'm Doc. This has been Watery Death Show. Until next time, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. Take care, everyone. Bring back the brothers. Yeah. I dread it's only days, so I'll meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. I dread it's sunny days, so I meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side.